everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I wanted to say Pioneer Podcast so bad there. I don't know why. It just it, it, it rolled off the tongue so well. I I was so in my head I mixed them up and blended them and thought you were going to say MTG Cast, which is a whole other thing. So oh, that that has almost happened multiple times. Like, I'll start <laughs> to say the right one and then the like MTG Pioneer, you know, it just like start mixing it all up or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Pioneer uh, rants. Yeah, pioneer rants. Like, wait, what? <laughs> I got <laughs> dysentery today, and it was awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. It's brought back so many memories of my childhood of, like, computer class. You got to, like, play a oh, game. Yeah. And the two games we played the most, or the three games we played the most, was that, Carmen San Diego, and there was this Spider-Man game that was, like, really good. And I think, like, the main villain, if I remember, it was, like, Mysterio, or, like, maybe that was the beginning villain, because, you know, you never got to go super far in the game. And it was all black and white on these, like, IBM computers. You know, the ones with, like, DOS. You have to, like, type in all the commands every time you want to do something. It was brutal. I had those for, like, the very early part of my elementary school education. We had those computers in some of the classrooms. And I remember we got our... The computer lab was put in when I was in fourth grade. And we there... By that point, Windows 95 and actually 98 probably was even out. Windows uh, was not a thing when yeah. I was doing this. Yeah. So we got we had we got some Windows computers towards the end of my being in elementary school. I, I remember uh, playing Oregon Trail, obviously, and also there was this like I don't think it was Veggie Tales, but it was I, because it was it looked like a game that was produced by like the some like U.S. Agriculture Department. Because it's all about getting your five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, sure. like five five servings of vegetables, and so it was all it was a game about vegetables, and they're like different mini games with different vegetables. And for some reason, this was the game that everyone in my like third grade class played. And you know, you had there were like a million stages to complete or whatever, but it was it had, yeah. a, had a good good lessons in there for all, us as children. Uh, the one that happened after that, like when we got more advanced computers, you know, I'm thinking of um, you know. I think of, you know, four or five years on the line, we started getting, you know, better games. The game that we all played after that, and the one that everyone wanted to play was uh, Backyard Baseball. I I remember renting that on a CD-ROM from the library. I just remember it was like, what was it? Uh, there was one kid who was like Benny the Jet Rodriguez pretty much, and he was like a monster. And then I remember the kid in the wheelchair was also very good. If you didn't get that reference, by the way, stop watching the podcast. You can finish it later and go watch The Sandlot right now. Yeah, you didn't get that. <laughs> He wore PF flyers, Ross. She was guaranteed to make you run it's, faster and jump higher. Boy, it's, were we it's more important. It's more yeah, important to watch the, the Sandlot. Such a good movie. How long do you watch the Sandlot? Forever. <laughs> That's how long you watch it. Okay. Oh God. I, I just know it's one of those movies that, like, I think they've made like multiple sequels to, and I have no intention of ever watching. They're, them they're probably I, horrible. I've watched one of them. It's very bad. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, yeah. Very very bad did it have any of the same actors or same yes characters? it had um it, it had smalls it had smalls was it yeah. just smalls or um smalls and the the main kid from the first one who i never remember his name because he's not important but he that was, he that was, oh uh, who become he becomes the announcer for the dodgers right right which it's like funny they make him the announcer for the dodgers like there's only been one person with that job for the last 60 years besides <laughs> yeah. like the, the new one that just happened but like yeah it's been the same man since like the 50s or whatever i think 1950 i think he did yeah. it for 68 years yeah good old vin scully the, the the voice of baseball like for real yeah yeah okay so we talked about the sandlot that's check that's off the script i uh-huh, got that sure. one in um 
I, I want to focus on you more during the our intro section here because you've Ooh. had a much more exciting week than I have. Well, it's been exciting, tiring, and draining. Yeah, very because, stressful week. Yeah, very stressful week. The the main reason the main reason for stress is baseball related. I've had like four fantasy drafts that I that I do, and you know this. I don't usually play in any of them that are like cheap or not competitive. Yeah, Tannen takes like, this I, very seriously. Yeah, so. it's some of the most yeah, it's some of the most fun that I have all year. I really look forward to it, but. It's like taking a final exam, especially the fact that I've, I've selected my leagues pretty well. And the fact that I know people, at least a few people in all of them, so I can like shit talk. I know the competition's good. And then all of them are structured in some different way. Like none of my leagues are like two of the same thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like one is Roto, like one is head-to-head points, one is head-to-head Roto, and then the other one is Dynasty. But that one's like, uh, and then one of them's like week to week or whatever. So, you know, and... In all of them, players can shift wildly on, like, how much value they have. Like, here's a good example. And, and like, what categories matter. Right? right. Yeah. In, like, one of my leagues, I was unbelievably excited to get a Bryce Harper on the wheel. Right? Like, to, uh, unbelievably excited. In the second There's, round? Yeah, in the second round. Like, when he came back around to me. Yeah. In another league where I had the exact same pick, pretty much, Bryce Harper was there in the second round, and I would never touch him. And it's it's only because one category is different in e- in each league. Go from batting average to on base percentage because yeah. he walks like thirty percent of the time. Yeah, so like he's like a two sixty hitter, which is like still above league average, but not good enough for me to take that player there. But when you incorporate on base percentage, he's like a four hundred on base percentage, which is elite. You know, because he ro- he walks one hundred twenty something times a year. You know, he, just, he just doesn't. It's like so funny that like he doesn't have a super high batting average, but like. All he does is hit the ball hard. Like, all he does is barrel the ball, and he doesn't swing at bad pitches. Like, he doesn't strike out a ton, considering, you know, he's a home run hitter type guy. So, you know, there's little things like that. You know, because, like, I'm not saying he's a bad player in the league. He's still good. I'm not going to draft him where you have to draft him to get him on your team. See, this is the level to which Tannen, you know, mm-hmm. takes this seriously, yeah. everybody. You know, he he knows this. Going in, he knows, based on the rules of the league, how to, you know, change the valuation of each player. Me, I'm just like googling for a list of players, and I'm like, yeah, that's reasonably close. This is probably yeah. gonna be fine. I've heard, I've heard the name of this guy before. Let's click him. You know, kind of <laughs> yeah, I, I often actually now try to click players whose names I don't know because the players I do know are all really old. <laughs> old, old, yeah, yeah. So um, it's Wednesday, March 31st when we're doing this. So um, it's 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 funny that you know I'm. This is like I, I think I told you I have like a mental hangover coming into today. Like I woke up this morning, I'm like, why am I so tired? Because I slept like nine or ten hours. I was like, oh, I'm just mentally exhausted from the last few days. It, I felt like I played an open, you know, for like where you play all the rounds. Like, I'll say this, like the opens that I top aided, like, you know, most of the ones, like the next day when I woke up, I was like, dude, I'm exhausted. You know, because like you just want like you because because here's the thing. It's not just the drafts, right? Like, do you want to know how many mock drafts I did this week? Uh, 20. It, it's probably like somewhere between 15 and 20, you know, depending on what it was. There's also a couple of them where I would do the first like four rounds and stop first four rounds and stop just to like kind of get used to it and be like, what happens if I take a pitcher first? What happens if I take a hitter first? You know, like that kind of thing. And then I'll develop my strategy from there. And I don't want to go in blind. So what I'll do is I'll do the first few picks, see what the average looks like. And then I'll have like notes on it and be like, hey, like if I take a pitcher, then like target this guy and this guy in the second round. And then I'll do a whole draft, which takes like, in mock drafts, takes like an hour. And, you know, when we do it normally, it's like two or three hours because you take a little bit longer in the picks. So there's that stuff. Had the added stress of the MTG uh, dog competition this week. Sadly, Beignet bowed out in the top four to uh, who I thought was going to win. You mean but spoiler bow out? 
bow wowed out. Yeah. But spoiler alert, I don't know if Karn's going to win. It was not looking good today the last couple yeah. times I checked. He's, he's, Karn is behind in the finals, so looking like uh, he, he might take second there. I, I I had a hard decision as to who I wanted to vote for in the semis with Karn and, and Benny. Yeah. Just vote. yeah. Who, who I, did you vote I for? I did vote for Benny. I appreciate that. The, hey, you've known her longer. Anytime you get that that any, it was the photo really. The photo with the with the little paws out that gets oh, yeah. me every time. Yeah, the paws just like poking out a little bit. You're like, mm. it's actually really hard to get photos of her with her paws out if she's lying down anyway because of the way her fur is. She she's like yeah, a, it just covers her. It, she, we call her the Binny boat because it just covers everything. So it just looks like she's like just you know a solid mass yeah. like a boat kind of thing. Also, um, the idea of you pulling her along in a little wagon. Oh yeah. Me. It's that little. <laughs> did you notice there's a cushion in the wagon too? Oh like yeah. Like yeah, so she's that a pillow is, princess. So that is like a super bougie because it's like Serta uh, or whatever. You know, like the, the <laughs> it's more a nicer pillow ones. than you sleep on. Yes, and it's for her. That's it. It was specifically bought for her, but that was bought by uh, Natalie's dad, who like loves to spoil her. I want the I want the wagon to be outfitted with like a little a little music, so it plays like an ice cream truck theme as you're as you're dragging her along, and she's just kind of sitting there with a stupid smile on her face. If you want to see really cute, you have to see her interact with uh, we call him Bill. His name is Guillermo, but you, you know yeah, in America people just call him Bill. Yeah, and so um, I would I would love to see you interact with him because like that is his grandchild, man. He loves his dog like un- and like when he talks to her, half the time he's talking to her like in Spanish, and he's like he's like whispering to her, and he always he always has treats on him, like he always has treats or something for her. Um, like, if he's ever over here and, like, an errand needs to be run, he's like, oh, I'll go do it. I'll bring Benny. You know, he's like, he'll, like, leave and Benny will be his co-pilot. And she loves that man. Like, they are obsessed with each other. It's whole, like, Natalie's the favorite and I'm a solid, like, number two. If he's in the room, I'm, like, far into three. Like, way behind. Yeah, him. treat man ranks pretty high. Yeah. You know, and I, I feed her. Like, <laughs> I, I, was, I was tennis ball man at the park yesterday. I tweeted about it. And the and a random draw, dog was like, Ooh, I want to know this person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But dogs are the best. Honestly, I think all the dogs were winners. Um, yeah. It's one a 64 way time. Let's yeah, exactly. Uh, me and Jim talked about that yesterday. He was like, he's like, uh, draw. Cause he actually sent me a picture when we were at 50 <laughs> 50. And um, actually, late in the day, uh, Benny took a lead. Splitsies? Yeah, splitsies. <laughs> Benny took a lead. And and then Jim finally decided to get involved and tweeted it. As soon as Jim tweeted it, I just texted him GG because he has yeah. like fourteen thousand followers on Twitter, and I have like a little under four. So it's like your your clout is a lot higher than mine when it comes to that. And like the average amount of people you'll get from a tweet saying "Hey, vote for this" is like a lot higher than mine. Not saying that's the only reason they won. Obviously, Karin is a very well deserving dog. But I had some funny, I had some good fun plans for this. If Benny beat Karn. Uh, I had already gone and found my Tron deck, and I was going to have, take a picture of Benny with Karn in her mouth, like a like a like a an actual Karn, the card, yeah, in her mouth or her like stepping on it or something like something kind of fun and cute. And then if we won, there was some prize or whatever. I think I may have mentioned this. I was going to um, take the prize and do some kind of like auction type thing with it or whatever on Twitter. Like I was not going to keep any of it. I was going to send it off to some people or whatever. I was going to be like, Hey, you can buy a spot for like five bucks. Like, and then all of it was going to go to an, uh, an animal shelter that we'd already picked out. So we'll probably still make a donation anyway, but like I was not going to take any profit from, you know what I mean? Any profit or anything from this. So we're going to do something cool and stuff like that. But, but th- final four in your first tournament, that's pretty good. You know, freshman yeah. year, getting get yeah. to the final four, you're kind of yeah. like uh, the, the fab five, the Michigan Wolverines. I assume she's going to be one of the favorites going into next year if we, if we do it again. You know, I kind of, I'll tell you this. 
it took a lot out of us, like having to pick a photo every day. Like we were like trying to pick a different one and like pick another cute one every day and stuff. And like, you know, we, we like we got into like some some serious. We're like, oh, well, this is this one cuter than this one? I'm not sure. You know, we're like just we sit get there like, staring at Twitter, refreshing the page every 30 seconds. Oh, like, oh I looked at it way too. We much. gained three votes. We gained three votes. That's good. That's good. I know. I gained. It, I looked way too much, honestly. So like, it was it was a problem for me. But like I said, I've got kind of a hangover from all that. But uh, I'm taking today kind of like quote unquote off. I've just been kind of doing whatever I want to do today, hanging out a little bit. Um, tomorrow I'm gonna wake up bright and early and just watch baseball all day long. It is a it is a holiday for me tomorrow. I usually don't take, you know, most holidays off. Like I've actually been known to work on Christmas and stuff before because like, I just don't care. I'm kind of a Scrooge and like new year's. I'm not a big fan of opening day is an actual holiday for me. And it kind of sucks. It's a little different this year, but I'm okay with it. This is usually like the best sports week of the year because like, aren't the NBA playoffs usually like starting around now normally? Uh, Usually in, in mid April, usually okay. they have about two weeks of the regular season in April, but you're, oh, you're in the home stretch of the regular season. It's, it's March Madness. Um, you have yeah, baseball because, starting, and you have the Masters usually. Yeah, that's usually week. the first or second weekend of April is, is the Masters. Like I remember back when I was a when I was a bachelor in college, and I worked at uh, Best Buy, and I worked in like the home theater department. Uh, I wish you would have ever seen my living room. It was pretty ridiculous because we already we already had two TVs set up in the living room. Like I had one on one wall, one on the other one. We would bring in a third television. It would have like all of it up on the weekend. We would just have people in, and we would like move our furniture off the wall and forward by a few feet and then put like stools and stuff behind it. So you had stadium seating. So like everybody, and then we would just cook all weekend. Like we'd have a grill going for like two days. People would be like passed out and hanging out and stuff. It was, it was a debauchery filled weekend of a lot of fun. We had uh we had stadium seating in my dorm suite in my senior year of college uh, in the common area. I, I don't know who did it or how they did it. I just, I was the last one on campus that semester. I walked in and they just lofted one couch over another one. So you said one couch, you know, uh, and it, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. So, um, so I, I will say this: I'm probably going to be streaming a little bit less, especially until Strixhaven comes out, because I'm going to be a little busy and a little preoccupied with baseball. Um, you know this: I don't miss a game. Uh, if, even if I have to watch it later, I'm going to watch the game. I'm super into it. Team is really good and solid again this year. Uh, you know, I had high expectations going to last year. We came a win within the World Series. Damn Dodgers! And uh, that team looks absolutely absurd i mean they're probably better this year than they were last year which is scary to think of um so we'll see what happens <laughs> uh we're already getting our first scare the washington nationals have a covid scare today they have like five people they're having a problem with one of which is an actual player and then a few of them so they're like they're saying that they in like that if you have one player that actually has it or whatever that you worry if there's there's tracing context so they're saying that like they're gonna have to like maybe revamp their roster for tomorrow before the first game or change some stuff up so we'll see. Um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting season. Hopefully there's no big, huge stoppages. Hopefully we can just get through everything cleanly. I know a lot of the teams are, are not as many as I want, but a lot of teams are taking shots. I know I think the Cardinals today hit the threshold. It's like, I think if you have 85% of your team and or organization uh, has had the shot and is immunized, then they uh, lower some of the restrictions on you. I guess, you know, or something, you know, like they make it less crazy. So I guess that's I the thing, the but he's doing anything similar. Yeah. They're, they're talking about that. They're saying that like, I wish they would have done it before the season started, obviously, but they're saying that a lot of the starting pitchers are going to get the shot, like right after one of their starts. So they have the full amount of time to recover, you know, kind of thing. So we'll see. I would assume they're going to get like the highest quality shots that have the least amount of side effects as well. Like I'm not looking forward to my second shot. Everybody I know who's gone. is like, yeah, man, like it be, it beat me up kind of thing. So, you know, in a few weeks from now, my parents both said, said the second shot was easier than the first. 
Although my, my dad was hopefully. fine after both. My my mom had some symptoms after the first one, but it was fi- fine after yeah. the second one. I had some symptoms after the first one. Nothing too bad. Like, you know, it was general soreness. And, like, I mean general soreness in that area. And then, like, there was a, there was a right before I went to bed one. I think I may have talked about this last week. I can't remember. But I was just, like, sore and tired. And just, like, went to bed really early one night and slept a ton. And then I was, like, okay the next day. Um, I had to do... Uh, it was like funny. I did some commentary last week for Magic, which was really cool uh, for the Mana Trader series, and I hadn't done that in a while, so that was fun. And uh, going in, I had told the guy that like you know who had hired me, I was like, "Hey, I would find a backup last minute just in case." And he's like, "What's going on?" It's like, "Well, look, I got a last minute you know uh, appointment to get a shot for the COVID. I'm not going to say no, and if I have side effects, like you know, I might not be able to be on camera." Like, he's like, "Oh yeah, I completely understand. Like, you know, he's really cool about it and stuff." So. Uh, it went off without a hitch. It was really funny. Like as soon I was, I was feeling good enough to do the show that day. And then as soon as the show was over, I went and like ate a little bit of food and took a walk around my neighborhood. And I felt like a million dollars. Like it was like the, you know, I, like the, like the quote unquote, the fever broke like right then, you know, huh. and stuff. So pretty awesome. Nice. But, yeah. Not a bad weekend. Yeah. Did you have anything go on last week that was cool or fun? I got to see the Andersons for the first time since they came back to oh, run up yeah so if people at home maybe not know this because like you know it was on twitter a little bit on how much you follow magic twitter todd anderson and callie anderson have uh circumnavigated the united states now <laughs> yeah since moving from roanoke with you know the east east coast all the way to california west west coast and now they've come back um i'm assuming you talked to them how was their trip because like that's a hard trip to make with that many pets because they drove yeah and uh no the trip went very well for them which was great the cats you know made it through great so they were very happy about that and now they are because they're they're older too so yeah the cats are their cats yeah uh so and they've uh it's funny they have temporarily settled back in their old house but they are currently renting that house to to director rob uh travis and uh anderson leclerc and so they are in the basement of their house <laughs> while they get an, another house to live in uh and the one they're looking at and hopefully we'll, we'll make an offer and get is actually very close to where i live it's about you know three or four blocks from me uh apparently which would be really cool apparently they like it a lot too yeah it's a, it's a nice house the neighbor that neighbor old southwest in roanoke is great they're going to be right near the, the park just like i am where we play disc golf and tennis and occasionally basketball their basketball court needs some work so we try not to play there but they have good lights there so if we when it gets really hot in like july and we'll play at night uh we'll often play there well i hope that everything works out for them because i know the housing market is like super crazy right now in certain parts of the country so i don't know what it's like there but i know i've got a friend i I forgot where they live but they're talking about that there's literally salesmen going door to door like real estate agents door to door and like knocking like hey have you considered selling your house because we're getting like 120% of what it's worth, you know, and stuff like that. Like, I'll tell you this right now, if someone came to me at my house and like knocked on it and like, look, we're getting like, you know, way over asking price on this stuff, I would highly consider it. Like just cause, you know, I would look into my options obviously about like what I'm going to do, but like, I would at least have to think about the fact that I'm like, oh, I'm going to profit like an extra 40 or 50,000. Like that's hard to say no to if you can find any other, op- that's the problem is you have to find an option, you know, kind yeah. of thing. So. No, um, I I don't know exactly. You know, I don't own a house, so I have no fucking clue what the housing market is like here. So it's not it's not fun at times. I, Sometimes I pay I pay my rent every month, and mm-hmm. I have a I have a roof. That that's the <laughs> yeah. extent of my knowledge of the housing market. Yeah. 
exactly. Uh, you know what else you have a extensive knowledge in? That's Magic the Gathering. Let's talk a little bit about some of that because uh, we've got a new set coming out. We've got quite a bit of spoilers to go through and talk about. And let's just talk about the overall look of the spoiler and stuff because uh, you had an opinion so far on how the set looks. So I know that we're getting the entire set by Friday. So this is a very short preview season, only about a week, right? Yeah. It's normally two or three. And so I expected to like every day be like, oh my God, there's so many cards. And we were planning verses this morning. We're recording this on Wednesday. So we're planning verses this morning. And I was also you know, looking at it last night after verses yesterday to try to get Thursday show in order. And I, I just kept looking and I was like, where are the good cards? Yeah. And I always just kept scrolling through. I'm like, where where are the good cards? They where are, where are they? I understand the sentiment because we're getting that from a lot. I think that's like one of the overwhelming uh ideas or the um opinions that people on Twitter are having is this set is a little bit underpowered. No, I'm, I'm asking where this isn't an opinion, it's a question. <laughs> where are they? <laughs> okay. Sure, sure. And here's the thing. I think the good cards are going to be relative in the set because I think we're going back to less powerful cards overall. And again, I've been saying this for like months now. I think this is the way that magic's going or possibly going and I'm excited about it. Also, there's not as many, like there hasn't been as many busted permanents in this set, which I think is a good thing for magic. If this is, if this is what they're going to print for like these sets and the next coming sets, can we just ban Edgewall Innkeeper and Emergent Ultimatum right now? Yeah, I would like, love that actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just sick. I, I don't want to keep playing against those cards. I think you should even just take out Bone Crusher, even with Edgewall gone as well, just because like there's so many cool like two twos for two in the set, and you can never play a single one of them because every deck has Bone Crusher Giant in it. Yeah, I could see, and I, I like even uh, you know maybe you you also have to get rid of like Faceless Haven because the Monocolor Aggro decks are too good. Maybe that's a stretch. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, like if if I'm fine with not having busted sets, obviously, but we still have to get through, you know, seven months, six, six or seven months of standard, right, with with thrown in it. And we've only banned, you know, seven of the 45 broken cards they printed in that set. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so maybe we need to do a little bit, a little bit more work here to actually have a workable standard environment for the next yeah. six months. Because this, I mean, I'm not going to say that, like, no cards are going to see play. I see cards that have some potential. But I basically have only seen one card that I am very, very confident, like over 90% confident, is going to be a significant player in Constructed. Yeah, I can like agree with you in general. You know what I mean? Like overall, I don't think you're wrong. Like, you know, this set does not seem super powerful. I'm not seeing cards or like screaming build around me or do stuff. I see a lot of cards that I'm interested in and I think are cool, you know, and stuff. And like, I'm hoping we get to play a lot with. But also, uh, the, the like, you know, they've been kind of previewing them sort of by house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it feels like. And they did the like really spell heavy house, you know, the red blue. I don't know the names of them or whatever the other day. So I got kind of excited because those are, it's like the, the me and Shaheen house, you know, the really expensive instants and sorceries that do busted things. These cards that I want to cast of Torrential Gear Hulk, which we'll talk about when we get here. Cause I actually think a few of these cards are sneaky. Good. Yeah. I'll talk about oh, why. do you want to, do you want to ramp it to Torrential Gear Hulk with Magnum Opus? Is that, that your plan now? Uh, a Yes. B, I love the name of that card. It's it's oh, it's, it's magma uh, opus. It's magma opus, not I, magnum. I literally thought it was just called magnum opus. <laughs> that's, that's why I think the name of the cards are great. I feel like but I, I kind of want to like. I kind of think I need to get an eye test. I think my vision is getting worse. You would you with glasses just it, it seems it just works. My like my, my a, dad has worn them since he was ten. My mom started wearing reading glasses around forty, I think. 
Um, and my both of my sisters, I think both, certainly my twin sister, I think my older sister also wears reading glasses. I think the only person in my family that has good eyesight is my my brother. And I had like fine eyesight as a kid, but I didn't never had great eyesight. I should probably go get get my eyes checked. I'm pretty lucky there. I have good eyesight, but I have like a really bad, uh, really bad hearing and a bad sense of smell as well. So like, if my eyesight starts to go, I'm just going to be like pretty useless. So anyway, <laughs> I have no sensory perception at all. <laughs> if anybody wants to kind of follow along at home, I am using the Mythic Spoiler. Uh, it's literally MythicSpoiler.com, and I'm going to be starting with March 28th for the, the spoilers that we're going over today. And the card I'm going to start with is like one of the coolest ones in the set, in my opinion, one of the better ones that they've shown. And that's just the uh, the invitational card, as I like to call it, the card that is Paulo Victor Dama de Rosa for winning worlds. And uh, I think this is a card that could possibly have some ramifications in, in sets other than standard as well. Yeah, so this, this is the card when I said there's one that I'm confident is going I, I to be a major yeah. player. It's this one. This is the uh, one. I'm gonna read it off, and then you can kind of you can kind of talk about it a little more. Then, okay? Yeah. So this one is Elite Spellbinder. It's two and a white for a three-one flying human cleric. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, look at opponent's hand. Uh, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. Uh, spell uh, cast this way costs two more to cast. I want to point out one or two things real quick. This is not conditional to uh, Spellbinder being in play. So it just taxes this card for the rest of the game. All right, go ahead. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, not only does that mean that, like, you know, your opponent can't just get around it by killing your one toughness creature, which is pretty easy to do. So it, it gives, it really raises the floor on what that ability does. It also means that the card synergizes with blink effects. So when you put it in your Yorian deck, when you put it in your Flicker Wisp deck, a Death and Taxes style deck, you can get some added value out of it. Um, the other key is that for whatever reason, a human cleric has flying. It makes absolutely no sense, but I guess Paulo is magical, so whatever. Um, you know, but, isn't Paulo magical though? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, in that sense, sure. But you know, he's a human cleric. It's it's very weird. None of for some reason, none of the spirits in this set fly, but the human cleric does. So, yeah. uh, you know, I guess that's the world we live in. But it, it is a. Uh, you know, it having flying is a really big deal just, you know, for its body to be relevant. You know, 3-1 has a really hard time attacking in this day and age if it doesn't have some form of evasion. And so now you're going to get good aggressive potential. You know, this is not a card that's generating card advantage. It's generating a mana advantage because you're creating a body and costing your opponent to spend two more mana for one of their spells. You can break up their curve with it. So it's really a, a tempo-oriented card. And so it being able to apply pressure, which is how you take advantage of a tempo advantage, uh, it's how you, how you leverage a tempo advantage, I should say, into winning the game, it is really important. So it means the card is very um, internally consistent, internally synergistic with itself. You know, if, the, if this ability was on a very defensive-oriented uh, body, if it was on a, you know, e even if it was cheaper, if, this, if the same target ability was on an 0-4, it was sort of like a Wall of Omens clone, I think it would be significantly worse. Because that 4 means the game is going to go long, your opponent's going to have time, they can probably pay the tax without being punished as much. So it being on a very aggressive body, really important. We actually, uh, Corey and I played a little bit with it on Tuesday in Historic. We were testing out mostly Mystical Archive cards, but, you know, we figured Strixhaven was a fair game as well. Uh, and we each put Spellbinder in, in a given deck, and it was quite good. Uh, he busted up my Mind's Desire combo deck with it uh, several times. <laughs>
So, uh, yeah, no, th this is just a good card. I'm a little bit worried about it in modern, uh, just because of the presence of Renin Six puts such a hard tax oh, on one toughness true. creatures. You know, the, the death and taxes lists I see are even like trimming a flicker wisp, which to me is like sacrilege it, it, for that deck. But the metagame is just so hostile mm -hmm. to one toughness creatures. Also, lava darts in the prowess decks. Yeah. Um, so. The, you know, the, I, I'm a little worried about modern, but it, it's it's on par for modern. And honestly, like it would be a solid sideboard card for you know Healy if Heliod Company wanted something for for combo decks. Not that there's really a big spell based combo deck in modern right now, but that that would be a fine option. Or if Death and Taxes wanted something for like control control matchups, uh, I think this would be a, a fine card as well. It might not be the best option, but it's definitely something I would consider. So I'm I'm expecting this card to be quite good. The, the three slot and mono white aggro is getting a little crowded right now, but th this one competes with, I think with Archon of Emuria quite well. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of this card. If we did our top eight of the set right now, and this would be my number one. Yeah. Uh, I think this card is very good. Um, you know, just adding on to whatever you said, I do, I do see this being something that you can at least consider in older formats. Like you said, you know, the presence of Renin six makes it rough and in, in modern. I really like the look of this in historic. If there's some kind of, like white aggressive taxes deck in historic because you know it doesn't have all the pieces that it necessarily needs and this is something that can add to that there and is a selecting a company deck in historic yeah i'm saying if you know if if mind's desire is a thing which i think it's going to be good i think storm might be good in uh in historic this is a card that can slow them down even though grape shot is very good against this card but we'll see um i just look at this card it screams aether vial to me you know it's it screams that kind of thing so we'll see uh, you know how prevalent it is, and then how many copies. Is, is it is it funny to you that Paulo has made fun of White Weenie like many times over the years in his writing, and his you know World Championship card is just a White Weenie card? Yeah, this, this makes me wonder if like I, I I think they don't like I wonder how much the the players know about it ahead of time. Like, am I just going to be a random human creature that's in this set and like probably not something that's busted? Also, I like that they've been making them rare and not mythic, so that you get to open this card more. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, honestly, like I know with the when they used to do this back in the old invitational days, you would get to see what all the players submitted, right? Like they would they would ask them like, what is the card that you're going to submit? And some of the cards you're like, this this is this can't be a magic. Like you yeah. can't make this a magic card. Some some of them were like, okay, we need to tweak it a little. Like uh, Jen Thorin, who is Solemn Simulacrum, he submitted uh, like two blue green. It's like a two two wood elves that that draws a card when it dies, uh, and that it was going to be in the artifact set. So they just made it an artifact, made it find any any you know basic land, but then had it enter tapped. You know, but the, the, you know, not not a huge change to the card that that, that he submitted. Whereas you know, Finkel submitted Wrath of Leakniff, which was like some ridiculous Wrath of God, and they just completely reshaped that and turned him turned him into Shadow Mage. Um, I think uh, Kai submitted like a a one blue enchantment that was there's like one blue sacrifice draw card, blue blue sacrifice counter target spell, yeah, that's which is absurd. also just too good. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Snapcaster Mage took like three years to happen. They couldn't, sure. yeah, from when they won and stuff. So lots of things took like, like seven years. So yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, hey, but you got to find the right set for what they're trying to do. You know what I mean? But the, but, the, 
my point is that the fact that I I don't hear anything about like what Paolo submitted makes me think that like that's not how the got, process works. I don't think he got to submit it. Yeah, I think they I, they they find a card in the set that they can make into him. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. A card that's like, yeah, this looks like something we can make into Paolo. Like I have to think that it's one of the last things that happens to the card is make this Paolo. You know, like yeah. they already had this card designed kind of thing. Because I mean, what they did this set, you know, a year ago, right? You, know, you fit, like you know maybe some finishing touches there, but like this, you know, they're usually about a year ahead of time. And Paulo didn't win the world championship a year ago, did he? Like when when was when was Worlds? You know when did he win? It was it's been a while, but you get what I'm saying. Like it was, it was, no, it was a little over a year ago. It was right before okay, the maybe. pandemic. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you're actually right. So yeah, maybe I'm wrong there, but it just it just matters. You know, the card might have already been kind of been in existence. Whatever. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the one that's actually sitting right next to it. Uh, this is a card that had a lot of buzz, and I actually had some buzz to it right when I saw it until I read a second, certain part of it. But here's a card <laughs> that might show up. You know where I'm going with this. Oh yeah. This is Rip Apart. Uh, when I hear a card named Rip Apart, immediately I'm like, this card's going to be bad or good. But it's a uh, it's red white. Well, those are the two options, Tannen. It can be either bad yeah, or good. Shut up. Uh, it's it's Rip Apart, red white sorcery. Uh, choose one. Uh, it deals three damage to a creature, planeswalker, or destroy target artifact and enchantment. Everybody kind of freaked out about this right away until we all realized it was a sorcery. Yeah, you know, it looks like just a vastly improved a braid, right? You know, the, the damage part can hit planeswalkers, which is great. We've seen scor- like scorching dragonfire has seen so much more play than the, the you know two mana three damage to creature spells, regardless of what their upside is. Just because being able to hit different planeswalkers and, and fin- either finish them off or, or cleanly trade one for one directly with them has been so valuable. Um so that that's a pretty big upgrade. And then obviously, you know, destroying enchantments. Um you know but I, I agree that like as soon as you make a, a removal spell a sorcery, it's a huge downgrade. Like really, I 100% really agree. big. Hundred percent agree. But I think that this card might still see some sideboard play somewhere if there's a deck where like both ends of this are good. Yeah, it's it's versatile enough that I do think it, it can see play. But it's not like a braid is is a ubiquitous sideboard card across yeah, a ton yeah. of different formats. This card is worse than a braid, even though it is more versatile. Obviously, like, you know, part of that is it being red-white. If it was colorless red, it, I think it would still be slightly worse, uh, but much closer. Um, but even among, like, you know, if you consider the percentage of decks that with red that have a braid relative to the percentage of decks with both red and white that have this card, uh, you know, I, I think a, a braid will will turn out higher. Yeah, it's, One yeah. place it, it could be good in, I guess, is, like, Niv-Mizzet decks. It's, like, a cool Boris card to get. I think uh, that's I think it's a an okay yeah this might be a, you know a sideboard card and if miss it yeah or maybe even one main you know if the format is like enough there if there's enough enchantments and artifacts which I think there is yeah but the, the you know this is just a solid removal spell you know think about it but don't overrate it removal spells being sorceries is, is so huge it makes it all the more difficult to uh you know use your mana efficiently yeah you can't tempo as well yeah, yeah. You really want to, you know, have the option of being able to end step it on, on on a creature or something, and then untap and use all of your mana and and get further ahead. You can double spell with it on your turn, but like you have to set that up. It's just it's hard to talk about without, and it's easier to see, I think, when you start playing with them. But like if you play with too many sorcery speed removal spells, you should notice like your mana is just more awkward a higher portion of the time, and that's a huge cost. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to add is I have heard a few people in like the legacy people, like in the legacy realm, say possibly a card that you might want in Miracles. Just as like a good answer to everything, it, it might free up a sideboard slot, kind of like a braid freed up sideboard slots for uh, for Delver of Secrets. You know, it was just a card that was good enough, and, and uh, you know, what I mean, it's like yeah. maybe not a card that is better by itself than the card that you're replacing, but if you can if you can make it 
do the same function as two separate cards and get an extra slot, then it's, then it's good. Yeah, and, and you compare 2v2, you'd ha- have rather have that pair, you know, rip apart plus whatever slot you gain versus the two cards you were playing before. You know, what even potentially replacing a braid in certain decks, right? Like, if you're playing in a braid and some sort of way to deal with enchantments, you know, now you can play two of these or something or just one of these and, and one of something else. If you have one abrade and one disenchant your sideboard, like, then rip apart might be better because, like, now you can get, like, another card into your sideboard kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, I actually was talking about all the cards that got previewed that day because all of them were, like, kind of cool and did some stuff. Yeah, this next all, th- one is- all, th- all three are in the interesting category. When I, you know, I said earlier that there are cards that I think have potential, but I'm not, you know, overly confident about them. Rip apart and this next one, Venerable War Singer, are, are certainly in that latter category. Hmm. And this is a 3-3 uh, a three, three for one red-white. It's a spirit cleric. And we're going to have the thing that we talked about in the set. It's a spirit that doesn't fly. It does have two other abilities. Randomly. It has Vigilance and Trample. So it's a 3-3 three, three Vigilance Trample for three. Uh, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can return target creature card or converted mana... I'm sorry. Converted mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Or X is the amount of damage that this creature dealt to that player. So very interesting card in like a red-white aggro deck that has a good bit of one and two drops, right? Yeah, very cool card in Wynota decks that are trying to create wide battlefields. It helps you recover from early cheap removal spells. It's also a non-human that's attacks for Wynota itself. Uh, so that's definitely the obvious home for it. My problem here is what, is, what do you do against Lovestruck Beast? And like, I think that's just going to be a problem in standard is like, like I said, you have to get around those two cards. You have to get if you're a creature and you want to be able to like attack or do something like that. You have to get around Bone Crusher. You can't die to Bone Crusher, and then you have to you know either have some way around or over uh, Love Shark Beast. And this card does not pass both those tests. It's also like not you know not great against Frostbite out of you know Mono Red. Not great against a lot of the Mono White removal. Like they have they have reasonable answers, and Exile removal is going to limit the damage that the the trigger can do. You know, the 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 Sultai deck is trying to go way over the top. The, you know, uh, it, it can be fine against rogues, I think. Um, especially because if they block with a, um, what's the one drop? Thieves Guild Enforcer, you can still trample over for one and rebuy a one drop, which is kind of cool. Um, so, but they do still have reasonable removal for it. Like the Emergent Ultimatum deck is just going way over the top of you and is playing all exile-based sweepers. There's so much... There's so much exile-based removal right now in Standard that is just... It, people aren't even playing it because they necessarily want to exile everything. It's just those are the most efficient removal spells anyway, um, f- for the most part. So the, all of these recursion effects or, like, when my creature dies, you know, I get something, so I'm insulated against Wraths. The, these effects just aren't as good, and they keep putting them on on things. Like, the the Golgari Dean has it on the other side for creatures with plus and plus one counters... There's um, Bassery Lieutenant. There's Venerable Warsinger recurring stuff. There's Agadim's Awakening and uh, Call of the Death Dweller. And, you know, uh, there's there's so many. You know, is Midnight Reaper still in standard? Probably not, but... No. There's a, there's a ton of those kinds of effects right now. And like, they're just not very good because they don't really line up against the removal people are playing. But th- this is a card that has a shot moving forward and might just be powerful enough on rate to see play in Wynota decks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next card I want to talk about, and uh, I got to say this because this one falls into this category. I'm a big fan of the name of cards in this set. There's a lot of like really cool school flavored cards, if you get what I'm saying, and you'll know what I'm talking about with this one. Um, Semester's End. Uh, this is a card that 
before we get into it, I think this might show up in some some constructed formats, but I definitely think this is going to be a player in like a lot of the casual formats, like Commander and stuff. I think this is a card people are going to be excited about. This one's Cannon, three I don't white. give a shit about Commander. Well, shut up, Ross. We're a magic podcast. We're going to talk about it. So this is a uh, three and a white, and it's an instant. And uh, here's the text: It's exile any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers you control. At the beginning of the next end step, return them to the battlefield under its owner's control. Each of them enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on if it's a creature and an additional loyalty counter if it's a planeswalker. This is pretty big and pretty powerful in those formats. And like we've seen cards like this get played before in like slower formats where like on turn four you get wrathed a lot. So if you go like one, two, three, you can leave this up. They wrath you, you play this, and like they're dead or whatever. And this combos really well with like commander with like a whole bunch of your creatures getting extra counters, etc., or your planeswalkers coming back. You know, it just resets them and actually bumps them up one. So uh, it's also an instant, so you could do it during your opponent's turn. Have your you know your planeswalker go up in loyalty, untap, do your stuff. Yeah, like they they attack your planeswalkers, don't quite kill them. Then or yeah. they go to attack them to maybe kill them. You blink them out. You know, essentially fog their attack. You know, uh, and then uh, you know get everything back ready to activate on your turn. It's, yeah. it's it's cool. It's it's like a Teferi's protection kind of, which is a very very played card in commander and anytime i see like white cards that are good in commander it's always a good thing because it's one of the the colors that's gotten kind of the shaft the last few years so this is the kind of card that in you know competitive environments gets overrated frequently because there there is a narrow range of situations where it's just game breaking and people get seduced by that uh and they don't realize that like it just doesn't do a whole lot so much of the time so and the floor is very low in car in a, you know formats like commander those really swingy game breaker that that kind of uh high potential and upside is important and and raises the value of the card quite a bit uh not as much in a competitive environment i will say i would like to pair this personally with doubling season effects you know then you, if if you, sometimes you like draw your conclave mentor or especially with Vorinclex, you you can't cast it until then after you've played your planeswalkers and your creatures with counters on them maybe you have some synergies going but it would have been better if you'd have it early obviously uh, and now you know, if you have semesters end not only is it a card that protects you from sweepers but it insulates you from drawing those cards in the wrong sequence so that you can blink everything out have everything enter with you know double the number of counters. And, you know, maybe be ready to ultimate some Planeswalkers and do some really nasty stuff. Yeah, and, like, that's what I'm saying. I just, I, this card is never going to do anything remotely fair. And like, and, like you said, I think the floor in this card is really low and not good, and you'll lose games with it in your hand if you try to play this in standard too much. But when it's good, you are going to lose this card straight up. So, um, other than that, like, there, I'm looking at some of the other red-white cards. A lot of these are, like... They have some interesting play, but they're, like, a little too expensive, I think, for some of this. I do want to talk about the Legendary Elder Dragon, just because, like, can, it's an... It's an can, can we hit up the card next to Semester's End? Because it's another one of the rare lessons. Oh, sure. I, I kind of wanted to... Like, I was kind of skipping this because I think it's not very powerful, but we could talk about this, the rare lessons that are going yeah. on. Well, that, that's the thing. The... I think as a lesson, it doesn't need to be powerful on itself. True. This true. is not a card that you're going to main deck. This is a card that you're putting in yeah. your sideboard and you're that's wishing for, mm-hmm. and... But you, know, I agree, it's not a, a powerful card on its own, but it's a it's a situationally powerful card, yeah. which is the exact kind of card that you like to wish for, right? And so, like, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Think about the way. And this one is academic probation. He had another great. I, I love it. I love I love the names. Did you ever get put on white. academic probation, Tannen? Uh, I think I actually did once in college. I had like one really bad semester, but whatever. Anyway, I got um, put on alcohol probation. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, you're gonna be put on podcast probation here in a minute. All right. Academic probation, one in a white. Sorcery lesson, choose one. 
Choose a non-land card name. Opponents can't cast spells the chosen name until your next turn. Choose to, or choose target non-land permanent until your next turn. It can attack, block, or activate its abilities. Yeah, I, I think the the first mode is definitely the more powerful of the two. You know, when you're an aggro deck, I, I can imagine having games where like you curve really well, and then on turn four you play um, what's the the two one for two that learns uh, uh, professor of symbology. Is it professors? It's something of symbology, and you know, cast this, and you name you name their shadows verdict, so that like you can't get swept. You name their doomscar or whatever, uh, storm's wrath, whatever sweeper you, you know you think they have, or you know, maybe even a little bit later on, maybe you found this off the learn because you didn't need anything else, and you know, because they didn't really interact with you. Like you're playing at Sultai, and they cultivate it on three, and you know, you've ca- maybe you cast uh, Paulo on three, and you know, saw their hand, and you got their sweeper. That's a big thing I was going to talk about is being able to see their hand with with Paulo's card lead spellbinder makes us a little bit better too. Yeah, and then and then you 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 the then you just tag the other card that that beats you. Uh, so I I, th- I think you know we were both kind of high on that two one as a, as a learn card, and this is a, the kind of lesson that I think is valuable. You know, it's a one of it's not it's it won't come up super often. It's it's going to be you know better against interact decks than it is in you know aggressive mirrors. But even against those like. Like sometimes, do you like win the race by you know taking away a uh, an attacker or blocker or naming Embercleave? So because like that's the only way they're going to win the race against you. Um, so I I, th- I think this is an interesting lesson. I I'm I'm kind of happy that the lessons that they made, uh, not a lot of them are just straight up like worth a card because I think giving the like making learn just free card advantage. I think might just make it too overtly powerful. It's one of the reasons that like companion is busted and I don't like it. Um, because it's just, it's so hard for other cards to compete with that when they're, you know, it's, they're not really competing on the, on the same level and they, and they can't because of the nature of the mechanic. Uh, lesson would be somewhat similar, not, not as egregious, but um, I, th- I think, I think that's a neat one. I, I still haven't really seen other good learn cards. I don't like, I don't really like the three mana enchantment, um, but that, that that's a neat lesson. But not, you know, world-breaking by any means. Yeah, I'm going to go through a few of these cards uh, pretty quick here, too. Just just, just so everybody at home, you know, just so we're not, like, completely skimming over it. But there's another cool, like, commander card here. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this. It's the Lorehold Elder Dragon for red-white. It's five red-white for a Flying Vigilance Haste. And when it attacks, you get to look at the top seven cards of your library. And then you can cast it an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to its power. So five or less unless you pump this. Um, without paying its mana cost, and then you put the rest on the bottom of random order. A lot of, you know, dumb, aggressive things you can do with this. But there's a couple uh, cheaper creatures here that I wanted to bring up, just because I think people are going to try to make them good, or, like, people like this effect. I'm not a big fan of this one, but I can see people trying it. This one is a Freet Flame Painter. It's uh, three and a red for a one-four. It's an Freet Shaman. It's got double strike. But when it deals combat damage to a player... You can cast an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost, and then you exile it, you know, if it would go back to your graveyard. So this is one of those cards that, like, people always try to make good. Like, I remember the, the three, uh, what was the, the three cost one? It was, like, one red, red, and a double strike, and yeah, you get to, like, um, you know what I'm talking about? You get to, like, you got to, like, ex, you get to, like, Dark Confident on the top of your library or whatever. You know, you get to, like, look at it, and you could cast it. Um, anyway. Yeah, I know the card you're talking about. It was, it was yeah, a 1-3 people... with double strike for one red. red. It, it was in Theros block. Yeah, and this, this is a 1-4, so at least it survives, you know, a lot of the removal that's damage-based in this. But it doesn't attack through anything. Yeah, exactly. It can't really attack through anything. Um, I guess you could put an Ember Cleveland's, but it's kind of, like, doesn't do it either. You know, so, like, there's there's a lot to this card that people are going to try to, look, you know, make great. The the artwork's amazing, but I don't think it's going to work out. 
I do think the card next to it could possibly show up somewhere, and that's Strict Proctor. Uh, it's one in a white Spirit Cleric, the one three flyer, and it says whenever a permanent entering the battlefield, whenever a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger, counter that ability unless its controller pays two. I think this is a card that could show up depending on what's going on. This is another card if you like hate bears. This is this is another one that's sweet. It passes the Bone Crusher Giant test. It doesn't pass all the other ones, but. Um, also, you know, it's a flying 1-3, so it has a little bit of evasion, and another card that could show up in, like, group game stuff that's just gonna be a real big problem for all of your opponents to deal with. Yeah, it, it's a fine hate bear. There's not much to say about it. Like, it might see a little bit of play. It's awkward to be a spirit, because spirits has, you know, historically had a good amount of Enters the Battlefield abilities. It's also awkward now that every white deck in every format plays Skyclave Apparition, because it's one yeah. of the best white cards ever printed. Um, so there, there's some awkward stuff with it, but in the right deck, you know, we've seen this kind of effect, you know, want to see play. I think, I don't think this ability is that much worse than just stopping the triggers altogether, because normally when you, when you think about a deck like humans in modern, like they're running on a tight curve and, you know, stopping those abilities for two mana is, is going to do a, a, you know, 80 or 90% of, of the damage. So, um, it, it's fine. It's just not exciting. The, the Agreed. elder dragon, it's weird to me that this, this card to, from what I've seen is getting a decent amount of hype. Like I've seen people, you know, want to reanimate it in historic and, you know, play it in like a Jeskai control deck and standard. And to me, I'm just like, look, I'm looking at emergent ultimatum and I'm like, okay, we've all seen what this card has done over the last three months. And it's now peaking into historic. And we're seeing like, it's one of the best decks in standard. And you're telling me you would rather pay seven mana for this card. That doesn't, doesn't track. yeah, Yeah. I'm, I'm confused. Like, I just, I like, I get it. It's cool. It's splashy, but you know, there's not, there's, there's usually not much room in a, in an environment for like a ton of cards at the very high end of the curve of what that environment allows. Like when you think about modern base, about the most expensive spell anyone casts in that format is primeval Titan. So like every ramp deck ramps to primeval Titan because it's the best thing to ramp into. And, and you're like, not paying six mana generally for it. Like I know you're paying six mana, but you're not really paying yeah, six mana. But like and but like any other six or seven like any other six mana spell in modern that you might like might be good enough to like win a game if you ramp into it is still just worse than Primeval Titan. So why would you do it? And yeah, exactly. I think that's the problem here with with this dragon. Like, why am I ramping into this when I could be ramping into Emergent Ultimatum or Genesis Ultimatum? you know, or, or anything else that, or like something else more powerful. It, it's just not at the same level. If, if we had a, if this was a format where this was the best seven drop, then sure. I think it is powerful enough to dominate games, um, but it's it's just not the best seven drop. And like th- this, this town isn't, isn't big enough for the both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Uh, one card I just wanted to ask you about, because I've seen a couple of cards like this in the set and they always kind of worry me. And I see this, there's a card called Thrilling Discovery in the set. It's red and white for sorcery. It says you gain two life. Then you may discard two cards if you do draw three cards. Does this card tickle your fancy at all? No. And I, it's another card I don't understand the hype around. Like, I get like Cathartic Reunion is the most explosive card in Dredge. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at this point, we, we've all realized how much worse it is than Faithless Looting, right? And costing two mana is a big deal. Um, also, like, you know, the excitement here is that like, you don't lose the two cards when it gets countered now, which, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a normal circumstance would be good. But when you're playing dredge, you actually want to put the dredgers in your graveyard. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually worse. It, the effect itself is worse than cathartic reunion. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the, now when they counter it, you don't get the dredgers in the graveyard. You know, it, it, nobody's ever, ever playing Cathartic Reunion or the, this kind of effect mm-hmm. in fair decks. You know, almost always Tormenting Voice is better, uh, you know, because they're not linear enough to want to discard two cards at a time. Um, the the strain on the mana base and dredge would be significant. You know, they're already, you know, three colors essentially, and they don't really want to play a five color mana base if they can avoid it. Um, so yeah, not a card I'm interested in. If it said gain three life and it worked with uh, Silver Smoke Ghoul, then you might Ooh, have something. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, you might you, you might have had something if it said you gain three life uh, that would be cool, at, actually. at the start, but it doesn't. So this card is going to see zero play. All right, uh, and the card right next to it is a red-white mythic that I think some people are going to try out to make it good. This card's definitely, like, obscenely busted and limited, but, I, I've, you know, this is a card I definitely want to at least talk about for, like, two seconds because it's very powerful, but I don't think it'll... I don't know if it'll be good enough for standard, but we'll see. It matters if, like, the red-white decks are good. It's also a dwarf, which, like, there could be a dwarf deck coming out, but we'll see. This is a Hoffrey Ghost Forge, three red-white for a 4-5. It's a legendary creature, dwarf cleric, uh, spirit you control get plus one plus one and have trample and haste that's something that you know when you look through the spoiler overall like there's a lot of red and white spirits or like m- ways to make spirits and stuff um it says whenever another non-token creature you control dies exile it if you do create a token that's a copy of that creature except it's a spirit in addition to its other types and has when this creature dies if it would leave the battlefield exile it um Oh, I'm sorry. When this creature leaves the battlefield, return the exiled, cow, exiled card to your graveyard. Okay, same ish type stuff. Whatever. But this is one of those cards that um, you know, if it's, if it's a creature deck and you're playing against another creature deck, and if like if you know you have a spirit, this is a spirit lord, and makes it real hard on combat. So we'll have to see. I think this is one of the cards that we might have to like put in our back pocket and look at again in a year. It's a spirit lord. It's not a spirit. Why are dwarves pumping spirits? Why are we giving spirits trample and haste? Like, because he's a, yeah, I don't know, but he's a ghost forge. He's making I, ghosts and throwing them at you. Like, I, I'm pretty. So it's pretty clear that they wanted to create like these five schools, right? And they were going to be five of the guilds, and we have this huge association of the guilds as they exist in Ravnica, and they didn't want to just reproduce the guilds with a different name, right? They didn't want to just call it. Prismari or whatever the other ones are, but there really just isn't in disguise. Because then the set would just feel like Ravnica Light with, you know, school puns in the names of the cards. So I get that, and I think that, you know, that's smart. That's something they needed to do. But that doesn't, like, does that require you to, like, move spirits into a completely different set of colors and make them, like, that, that, like, creature type feel so different? Because it's... It's part of what I've re- not really liked with the move to single set or single with the elimination of blocks. Non-blocks, I say. yeah, yeah. Is that we see they seem to like include a little bit of tribal stuff in like every it's set now, enough, yeah. but it's always a different tribe per set because it's like a different plane every time, and they want to be different. And so there's never enough to really make a competitive deck. Like Knights was a very fringy deck at one point. But, like, you just don't see tribal decks in standard, and not that you saw a ton of them anyway, but you really don't see them now. And it's kind of, you know, a bummer because we get these, like, you know, rare cards that have tribal elements to them, and I just look at them at this point and say, like, this card's not going to see any play because it's not going to have the support. And I was, you know, last night and this morning when I was building decks, getting versus planned, 
I searched for every single spirit that exists in Standard, and we've seen most of the Boros cards in this set, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep calling them Boros and Izzet or whatever rather than use the other names. Sure. but it's, it's easier. Yeah. You know, so we've probably seen most of the spirits. You know, there, there's probably a couple more, but we've probably seen most mm-hmm. of them. And I'm like, there's definitely not anywhere close to enough to like build a deck. Yeah, I agree with you. We'll have to see what happens with Innistrad because we're getting a mini block. You know, it's two different sets. And there, I have a feeling spirits will be in that set as well since they were around the first time. But so we'll are, see what are you going to put spirits in red to, to synergize here? That I, seems I weird. That's what I'm saying. We'll have to, we'll have to see. We'll see I, what they do. I, guess we, I guess we can have a Jeskai spirits deck because they're going to be in, in Azorius in, in Innistrad and, and Boros in here. And, the, you know... Uh, it would it would be nice if we could cast our spells in a multicolored aggro deck, but that's not allowed. So they're gonna tell yeah, us to play our aggro deck with a triome in it, and we're just gonna yeah, yeah can't do that. And uh, yeah, people will try it for a week and then put it down. Uh, <laughs> as far as this card goes, it's another one of those like things that insulates you from the sweepers that nobody's playing. <laughs> you know, if, if if for some reason people start playing Doomscar like everyone thought during previous season. Uh, you know, this card might be good enough for you to want to play some spirits, but you know, right now, like, why in the world would you play this card over like Goldspan Dragon or any other? Like, there's so many other better five drops. It's not remotely close. Uh, next card we'll talk about another one that I think is pretty good, or at least could possibly show up somewhere. Uh, maybe pretty good is, is strong, but Curate. It's a nice little blue cantrip that we've got here. It's one in the blue. Uh, you look at the top two cards of your library, you put any number of them into your graveyard, put the rest back in your library in any order, draw a card, and it is an instant. This is an interesting one if you have any way to kind of like utilize the graveyard and stuff as well. And it is just another blue cantrip. So when you have opt in the format still, if you're looking for something like that, opt's probably just better. The fact that it's a, a full mana cheaper and you can use this stuff. But uh, this is a card that could possibly show up somewhere if you have any kind of value to go along with it. Yeah, if you're looking to play, you know, four copies of a blue cantrip in your deck, then you're you're going to go with opt over this card every time. Uh, um, I guess, uh, uh, or your, um, if if that's the only criteria, right? Um, obviously, the one that actually sees the most play is is the, excuse me, is the enchantment that everyone blinks with Yorian, Omen of the Sea. Uh, you know, but my the point I'm building to here is. We've seen Omen of the Sea has been a staple of standard. And this is, you know, approximately the same effect. You get a little bit of value in the graveyard. Omen of the Sea can potentially scry a little bit. Uh, and the question is, you know, how can you build around it to get a little bit more value out of the card? Because it's not quite good enough on rate. Like, I don't think you would play Omen of the Sea uh, a ton in, in decks without Yorian, right? Uh, but Curate obviously goes well with Magecraft, which is one of the key mechanics of the set. So I can see there being, if there are good Magecraft abilities, then you can potentially have a deck that wants four ops and more on top of that. Uh, I'm in fact playing such a deck uh, tomorrow on Versus, so I will have Curate in one of my decks. Um, I don't really have like graveyard synergies to go with it. I couldn't really build both. If you can get both, then you know you're you're doing even better. But the, there's enough that, like, yeah, this card falls into the interesting, but I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't see play category. Like, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a few more cards I'd like to talk about. Uh, one that I'm kind of excited about for Limited. I'm mostly excited to see how good or bad this card is going to be, and that's Campus Guide. Uh, this is a two mana, two one. It's colorless mana, so it's an artifact creature, Golem. It says, when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and then shuffle. Put it on top of the library. The first time I read this card, I thought I just put it in your hand. I was like, this card is unreal. Yeah, just colorless 2-1 Sylvan Ranger would be bust. Yeah. 
Um, here's the thing. Going on top of your library obviously is way worse than putting it in your hand, right? But if you have like no mana fixing and you're into like a, a three color deck or whatever, there's not going to be a ton of mana fixing uh, in, in some of the in some of the decks in this format. I can see myself playing this card because of the fact that if this card was a one one, I think it'd be infinitely worse than a two one because there's so many bears in this format and a lot of the spirits are three twos. So this card can actually still trade in a, a meaningful way in combat instead of just being like because Sylvan Ranger was like almost always regulated to chump duty and was like almost never relevant as an attacker. And this card could actually attack and block a little more profitably in a format and trade for other two drops and trade for other three drops. So I think that's why, the, you know, I think this card kind of excites me, the fact that it is a 2-1. Yeah, so the, the body being able to trade for a card makes up for the fact that you're not getting a card out of the trigger. Uh, I think that, combined with Letter of Acceptance, which is the Manolith that you can pay to sacrifice draw a card. So Manolith slash Clue. <laughs> um, you know, at Common, there's a, a Common Land. It's the a Rupture Spire. They just printed a third. Yeah, there's all they already renamed Rupture Spire, but obviously they have to rename it for every new plane. Um, you know, so th three different colorless five color fixers at common makes me think this is going to be another limited environment where you can play three, four, five color decks pretty easily. I, three colors for sure, right? Because there's hybrid mana and like some of the schools overlap. So you know, like you could be like, you know, green blue. X, you know, like whatever, you know, blue, red, green, blue, red, you know, you could be like in that kind of wedge or whatever you want to call it and something kind of overlap. And so something like Campus God might help you out if you don't get, because there is a, uh, a set of coming to play tapped gates in the set that actually have abilities attached to them. It's like usually like four mana tap at scry or something like that. So like late game, at least it can do something kind of thing. And so those are going to be pretty good, I think, in this set too. But like you have to take them really highly and stuff if you want them, you know, specific ones for your deck and stuff. So interesting stuff there. Um, do you want to talk about this like flip human shaman creature for a second? I don't flip think it's very good. Celebrant. Yeah. Yeah. Two mana two one is just such a weak body. Uh, you know, when you when I think about this ability, I like it mo I like that ability most in modern where you get to punish fetch lands. Uh, but uh, this is a one toughness creature in you know the run and six format, and it you know two mana two one in modern is pretty weak. The backside is like. Yeah, it's kind of cool that like your aggro deck just gets to sort of shoehorn those in some amount of the time where you can sort of time walk your opponent. Um, you know, but yeah, it do doesn't strike me as good enough. Um, yeah, th th this is a card that like I think two years ago I might have gotten overly excited about and overrated, but I've I've sort of I think I've gotten better at recognizing kind of trap cards, and this to me just like it just screams trap card. Yep, for everybody at home, uh, it's one in red for a 2 1 human shaman. Uh, whenever an opponent activates an ability that isn't a mana ability, it deals one damage to them. You can pay one in a red to give it plus two, plus oh until in a turn. The back end of it is white, white. Your opponent, it's an instant. Your opponents can't cast spells or activate planeswalkers to abilities this turn, and then you have to exile uh, Revel in Silence. You, you can't yeah, read every card can, and there's 7,000 words on all of them. Well, yeah, I know. 7,000 words on every card. When did they decide to do that? Uh, it's sort of like uh, the adventure set. It felt like that was the first set where you're just like every card has so much. It's text. it's been especially disappointing with this set because I spend thirty seconds having to read every card only to be disappointed at the end every time. Or read it again because you're not exactly sure. All right. Speaking of having to read in books, I actually like this book. <laughs> this is Cody uh, Vociferous Codex. Did I say that correctly? I'm not. I'm. What card are you looking at? The artifact. The legendary artifact creature construct. Oh, Vociferous. Okay, yeah, sure. The Vociferous Codex. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I so, scrolled up too, too quickly. So this is an interesting card with a lot of text on it. 
<laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a three mana legendary artifact creature construct. It's a one four. Uh, this you're gonna be shocked by some of the lines of text on this. All right, you can't cast permanent spells. So when you play this, you're not you're not casting any more permanent spells. But it does an ability. Four four colors mana. Tap it. Add Wooberg. So add white, blue, black, red, green. When you cast your next spell this turn, exile cards from the top of your library until you ex- until you exile an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana with lesser mana value. Until end of turn, you may cast the card without paying its mana cost. Put each other card exiled this way to the bottom of your library with a random order. So, this gives you five mana. You can't cast a permanent spell with it, but it gives you a uh, cascade kind of. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty glad at the you can't cast permanent spells part of this card because otherwise it like I would be a little scared of it with Niv Mizzet, where they would just you know turn for their Niv all the time and do a bunch of other crazy crap. Um, I am like I just don't know what to do with this card. You like activate it on turn four, hopefully cast a five mana spell, and get a four mana spell out of it. And uh, now you've essentially generated five. You've essentially generated five mana in that case. Yeah, uh, profit. But like, what what spells are you hitting? I'm not sure. And here's the thing: like, the the codex has to be one of the only permanents in your deck. Like, you have to be like a pretty spell heavy deck because otherwise yeah. you're gonna be hitting and drawing stuff. You're gonna be like hitting permanents that you can't cast. And like, you'll how you, many copies? You can play of like this? Shark Typhoon because you can cycle Shark mm-hmm. Typhoon still. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, an easy but, way. But what if you hit another? Cody or whatever it's called. So like you can actually brick. Oh, no, you you well. you keep revealing until you exile an instant or sorcery. Oh, okay. Until you see that's what I'm saying. There's so many words. So yeah, you never. I mean, brick. It's just, just going to be a spell with a. I mean, a spell. It's just going to be a deck with like a bunch of like four and five mana like instants and sorceries maybe, and then stuff that's cheaper. I don't know. You have to you have to figure it out. Yeah. I, I think all, that's all the be, cool sp- all the really flashy spells cost like seven and eight. That's which is what we're going to get into because like let's go ahead and move on to the next one here because I, I think that card is one of the ones that you know someone's going to figure it out and it'll be cool hopefully uh you may have heard us mention this one earlier on the show this is magma opus and it's a card that i like because this is generally the kind of magic card that i like and i really hope that these cards are going to be good and this one is uh it's a mythic it's six blue and a red and it's an instant um it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of targets then you can tap two permanents then you create a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token, and then you draw two cards. So it's an ultimatum, kind of, at like seven, uh, sorry, eight mana for an instant. It does have another ability, and you're going to see this on a few of the other cards in the set of these like really expensive like sorcery instant spells, where you can pay uh, two mana of hybrid blue or red. You can discard this card and create a treasure token. And I want to talk about that, like, I think there's a way that, like, this might actually be good, that you can play a deck with a bunch of these. You can, you know, if it's in your opening hand, that's fine. You don't have anything to do on two. You can cycle it by, you know, kind of cycle it by putting it in your graveyard and then creating a treasure token. And you can kind of, like, make sure that you're ramping up to, like, you know, you getting to cast one of these big expensive spells. Or you get to put this in the graveyard for something like your Torrential Gear Hulk, which I think is really cool because this helps you cast Torrential Gear Hulk faster and it gets into your graveyard for your Torrential Gear Hulk. And Ross, any card that makes Torrential Gear Hulk better is awesome in my book. Um, I think that is cool. I I don't think it's good, but I think it's really cool. And if it's good, I would be happy. Um, that said, my problem with this card is that casting it for eight mana isn't actually very good. Is this an eight mana worth of return? Like, I 
I can imagine casting this card and losing to a Lovestruck Beast. That's a problem. <laughs> well, you get to tap the Lovestruck Beast. For a turn, or, sure. Or you get to deal the Lovestruck Beast one damage, deal some other stuff one damage, tap some stuff, and then block with your 4-4 four, four, and draw two cards. I, okay, sure. We've we have we've traded with a, with a Lovestruck Beast. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've drawn two cards. That's what our eight mana spell did. I mean, look, man. It, they can't all be like super winners, all right? They can't all just win the game on the spot. Yeah, and, and obviously, like this one can't be, you know, the same level. This can't be on an on an ultimatum level because it has that low upside. It's never going to, you know, be stranded in your hand, right? Um, but it like the problem with that, like. Uh, and I think I said it on last week's show. Maybe I said it on versus. I can't remember. But like standard is so much about efficiency as opposed to versatility, and it, you almost never get paid off by investing in versatile cards and paying extra mana. The versatile cards oftentimes are like what you round out the deck with. To to but like your bread and butter has to always be based in you know what the most efficient effects are, so that you're doing very powerful things at each point in the curve. Uh, and this card, you know, is paying for versatility. You're paying to have this big expensive card in the late game. And, uh, you know, you've got some, you know, reasonable, uh, uh, some stuff to do early with it. If you, you know, you draw two of them or you just really need to ramp with that hand because it's a little clunky, you know, we, we see the most powerful way this kind, this sort of duality has been implemented on a card. This dichotomy has been in the modal double face lands, and even though those aren't even those aren't ubiquitous, but like Shatter Skull Smashing, you know, be, you know, being a land is great. Uh, and it, this is still a, a significantly higher opportunity cost than those, so the floor is lower. And uh, I just don't see a like it, the ceiling is fine. It just why does it? I don't know why they've just refused to print red cards that can kill green cards. Like, they printed Fry that couldn't kill Oko or Elder Gargaroth or, like, I guess Elder Gargaroth didn't matter, but it couldn't kill Oko. Um, it couldn't, there was something else it couldn't kill. Oh, couldn't kill Uro. There we go. Um, and, like, now, like, literally just red cards can't ever kill Lovestruck Beast. Like, we're just not allowed, you're not allowed to kill things with red cards. But you're, you're also not allowed to go upstairs w- with them, which is, which is stupid. If my if my only can kill creatures cards can't kill the creatures that are relevant, at least let me target my opponent. But apparently that's too good. That's too good. Uh, another red card uh, that can generate some mana that we talked about, and this is uh, our first one of our first like future sighted cards that comes into an actual set or whatever. This is Grinning Ingus. It's two and a red for a creature elemental. It's a two two, but you can pay one red, return it to your hand, add red red. But only do this as a sorcery. Um, you add two in a red. So you add enough mana to recast the Ignis. Yeah. So you add two in a red. Um, this is one of those cards that when I look at it, I'm like, yes, I see that this is probably good somewhere where, you know, it does something unfair. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. This I is mean, not my kind of magic card. R- read Burgi again. Yeah, I know. Yeah, people <laughs> so, talk about like Burgi kind of makes it's, it's Burgi and this mana. just creates a loop and it, you can deal them deal infinite damage with uh, Terror of the Peaks. You can draw your deck with the Great Henge. Uh, I'm sure there's a way to gain infinite life with that. Like a, a, a whole host of, you know, third cards will do it. But the real combo is with Burgi. It's cool. I'm playing it tomorrow on Versus. I think it's going to be gimmicky and not that good. Uh, but it's cool. It, uh, to me, it, it feels a lot like a Possibility Storm. 
Yeah. You know, it's like it's like a, I'm going to make my Gruel aggro deck worse, but I also get this fun combo. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be really cool when you do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, another card that I'm interested in, uh, this is a sorcery. Uh, we don't necessarily exactly know the name of it, but I think it's Expression of Repetition, it looks like, because this is the translation. It's blue and a red for a sorcery. Um, it says, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them in your hand, one of them at the bottom of your library, and then exile the rest. Until in a turn, you may play the exiled card. Now, this is like kind of a pretty cool thing. We've seen like two mana versions of quote-unquote ponder before, right? And they're usually just not very good. Because they're not efficient enough, you know, they're not very good at like, you know, streamlining enough and being good enough as the game goes on. This is one of the ones that I'm interested in because if you have to cast this on turn two to like make sure you're making land drops, or whatever, it's not the end of the world, right? You can exile a card and it's like whatever. Uh, you get to clear the top of your deck and you find the card you're looking for, like you're finding your land or whatever or your your spell. But as the game goes on, this card actually gains in value and gets a little bit better where it's going to find you a card to put into your hand and a card to cast right away. Or, I'm sorry, play. So you can play lands off this, too. So if you cast this on turn three, you can find your land, too. Yeah, that's that's the key that I wanted to make make clear, and that really makes me uh, hopeful for this card, is that, you know, turn two, obviously, unless you have zero mana cards in your deck, uh, you're, you're not going to hit, hit. It's going to be Anticipate. So not a great turn two play, but this is an Anticipate that, you know, gets significantly better as the game goes along. On turns three, four, five, it's pretty easy to cast it. Either take a cheap spell, like if your if your hand is flooded, you can take a cheap spell to interact and then keep something for next turn. Uh, you know, if you need to hit land drops, you can exile the land, play it for turn, keep a spell for later, and effectively get two cards out of it. And then very late in the game, when you have plenty of mana, you know, you just immediately find two spells. Uh, hopefully, you know, it doesn't always uh, doesn't always work that way, but uh, we can dream. So th- th- it's a it's a cool card. I think a- another like. Another candidate, along with Curate, for a deck that's trying to take advantage of Magecraft, you know, d- decks that are like prowess, decks that are taking it, trying to, you know, ca- uh, capitalize on those kind of triggered abilities are usually playing on their main phase, right? And so it being a sorcery is mitigated by that. You know, you're going to be playing your instance main phase a lot in a deck like that anyway. Um, and so th- this is a cool card for me. I just haven't seen the necessary payoffs for Magecraft to want to be playing that style of deck. Yeah, and we'll see if there's maybe some more or whatever. Um, Another card I want to talk about just for a second because it's it's in the same vein the one I was talking about earlier is Creative Outburst and this is like a next like this is a templated card of a card that's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, creative Outburst is three blue blue red red. So another seven mana card. It's an instant. It deals five damage to any target. And then you get to look at the five top five cards of your library and put one of them in your hand, the rest in the bottom in any order. But it also has the ability of hybrid red blue red blue. Uh, discard it. Create a treasure token. So another cool card. Torrential Gear Hulk. Another card that. You know, it has some outs early. Uh, it's going to be, you know, pretty damn good late, especially if, like, you're casting seven drops. Generally, the game, you've traded enough resources. The game is, like, relatively close. And if, like, you get to kill a Lovestruck Beast or whatever and then find another spell or something like that, you know, out of the top five cards of your library, this is one that could be pretty good. And it's a lot like Prophetic Bolt. I mean, Prophetic Bolt was way better in its day, obviously, but it gives me kind of, like, that nostalgia. So I, I just like it. Yeah. And, you know, I agree. Like, it's cool. It's not good. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. Definitely not cool. Definitely <laughs> not good. Um, one interesting card that did kind of show up in the middle here is this card, uh, Mage Hunter. It's three and a black for a creature horror. It's a three four, um, and it says whenever an opponent casts or copies an instant or sorcery spell, they lose one life. So this is like reverse Magecraft. This is like literally the Magecraft killer. So every time you trigger Magecraft or whatever, uh, you lose one. Interesting little card for whatever. But you know we don't have to talk too much about that. But 
The card next to it is a card that people are like pretty interested in, Ross, and kind of more than just what the card does, but a little bit of like what is actually on the art of the card and what the lore of it might be. Are you seeing this wandering uh, archaic? So uh, the front half of this, it's five mana, uh, colorless. It's a creature, avatar, it's a four, four. It says whenever opponent casts any instant spell or, or sorcery spell, they may pay two. If they don't, you may copy that spell. You choose new targets for the copy. So that's absurdly powerful, right? It's really powerful. Back end of it is a three mana sorcery. Each player looks at the top five cards of their library, reveals a land card and or an instant or sorcery card from among them, uh, then puts the cards they revealed this way into their hand and the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order. Each player gains three life. So some pretty powerful cards, right, going on here. Uh, you know, enough to talk about super powerful, like cool things to do, but this looks like this could be an Eldrazi as well. And I'm hearing some people, like, I know you're not super into the lore, I'm not into, but I've been hearing some cool theories about all this because, like, there's been Eldrazi and Phyrexia uh, cards the last couple sets. So maybe, you know, something's going on there. Sure. Why? So we we print a bunch of supplemental commander product, like, all the time, right? Like, they, they release that a lot. So why are we just putting commander cards in regular sets? Because that, that just, sells magic that's cards. That's just what we have to do now? Th that actually sells magic cards. We, we can't just put those in commander products? That Ross, just be okay with it. It actually sells... It, it keeps your game alive. I just... Like, no one's ever... Ugh. Who's playing this card? What is... Like, where, what are you doing? I feel like the magic player is always complaining now, but like... Because I know, like we want we we didn't want things to be too powerful, and now we're complaining that things aren't powerful enough. But it like it, it does feel like we've hit two very extreme ends. So I don't feel like I'm I'm chicken littling too like uh, too much here. Just what who who even designs this card? How do you how does this happen? I don't I, I don't understand. That's why it. we don't have that's why we don't have the job. Yeah, so. I I guess it's a good thing I don't I don't have this job because I would never in a million years design this card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh there's two more Elder Dragons. I'm not really gonna go over them because I think they're kind of in the same vein. I don't know if they're gonna be good enough for constructed. Maybe oh, I, they may I like the is it one. Yeah, maybe it makes a, a specific deck. We can talk about that one for two seconds. It's two blue red for a flying legendary creature, Elder Dragon. Um, when it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token. And it says, artifacts you control have tap, add one mana of any color, use this mana only to cast instant sorceries. So you can actually use the treasure token over and over and over again here to cast instant sorceries. Or if you want to cast something else, obviously you have to sacrifice it. But, you know, pretty cool card that can kind of combo in with some stuff. Um, I'm not sure I would want to build a deck around this, but we'll see. It is a, it's a 3-4, by the way, if I didn't say that. Go ahead. Yeah, I just think, you know, the that is it Dragon's deck with Goldspan Dragon that people played a lot in the first week, but ended up not, you know, lasting... You know, I think making that deck less of a, you know, clunky control deck that needs to find a spot to tap out for its five drop and more of just a straight up proactive deck that has enough interaction to, you know, tempo you out with Goldspan Dragon. You know, you play you play some two mana counters. Maybe you don't play didn't say please. You just play like disdainful stroke and negate, uh, you know, or uh, or you maybe go into teamer and play snakeskin veil which works both with Goldspan Dragon and Galazeth Prismari to protect them. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you for a second here because something's going on outside my window that I think you need to hear about. So um, 
I just had my window open so I could see out in my neighborhood and about seven children just walked by, like I'm on the corner. They just like walked by the corner and it caught my eye because it's a bunch of colors. And I looked over. They're all probably less than 10, right? They're, they're, they're small children, but old enough to be able to like play on their own and run around the neighborhood. And they all have what appear to be giant Nerf guns. Like, you know, the, the, like they're as big as the kid themselves, right? And I'm, and then I see them all like break off into groups and going one way or other. And I'm, I'm assuming that a giant Nerf war is about to happen in, like, it sounds like turf war. Giant Nerf war is about to happen in my neighborhood. And I don't know if I've ever been more jealous of kids in my life than I am right now. This, this is where Tannen like shows so me, like, the Nerf bazooka that's been sitting under his desk this entire time. I've been time. waiting for this. I've been waiting for <laughs> yeah. this day for, <laughs> since I moved in. You're just going to sit in your window and, like, destroy them? It's like a, I go out there like the Terminator, like I put on my leather jacket, I have like the minigun and I'm just like firing Nerf missiles at them. You know, just like, just I, like I want you cackling. to be the sniper where like the kids don't even know where it's coming from. I'll they start like making roof. up theories. They're like blaming each other. They they get all JFK about it. They're like, what is going on? Is there someone on the grassy knoll? <laughs> yeah, totally. I want there to be legends in your community about this. Yeah. yeah. All right. The next card I want to talk about, <clears throat> actually, Shaheen Sarani wrote about this one, and I think this is a really cool one. And definitely, this looks like a Shaheen Sarani card. This is multiple choice. Um, this is a cool, inst- I mean, sorry, a cool sorcery that's just in blue. So it's X and a blue, and it's a sorcery. Now this one's wordy again. S- surprise. Um, if X is one, scry one and draw a card. So at that point, it's one and a blue, scry one, draw a card. If X is two, you may choose a player. They return a creature they can they control uh, to their owner's hand, so they get to choose. You don't get to choose for them or whatever, but that's still fine. So that's two and a blue. You know, bounce a creature. If X is three, you create a four-four blue and red elemental creature token. So at that point, you're you're paying four mana for a four-four, good enough for like limited and stuff. Blah blah blah. If X is four or more, do all of the above. So if you pay for if you pay five mana here, it's going to scry one, draw a card, bounce a creature. You know, their choice. You know, whatever. Uh, which can be a drawback at times. You know, it can not be as good as you want it to be. And you make a 4-4. Four, four. This card's interesting. And I don't know if it makes the cut at being a sorcery, but it's one of the ones that I'm going to look at. I'm going to definitely first pick this in limited. I think it's really cool and really good in limited. So I'm it. Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously awesome in limited. This is a card that I think is really cool. It's one of my favorite cards uh, previewed in the set, uh, though I don't think it's quite powerful enough for constructed. This is the kind of card that, like, I wish we're good enough and constructed. Just the way they design magic now, it just isn't. Uh, it's just, again, it's just a card where you're paying for, for versatility. Uh, and you know, it's not, none of it's good enough. Like, yeah. Like, you're, you're all, um, you know, the, the one thing I will say is that there's a lot of cost reducers in this, this standard environment. And like the, the double face planeswalker reduces costs. You know, if you can somehow untap with that three drop planeswalker, Say you interact it on turn two, you play the planeswalker on three, and then you cast this on turn four and get everything. And like you know, they've you've killed their first creature. You play the planeswalker on turn three, tick up like dealing damage. They, I think it's called Rowan. Uh, they play a three drop, and you're like, okay, bounce your three drop, make a four four, scry one, draw a card. Uh, you know, and they still have the planeswalker in play, and I'm getting ready to ultimate it and start copying my spells. That's a really cool curve, and that's a powerful curve. So. In combination with the cost reducers, maybe you've got something going here. Um, so definitely something I, I would be interested in trying. Not super confident, but love that I, I've, as much as I've complained about the designs so much uh, going in uh, <laughs> for the rest of the show, uh, I, I love the design of this card. I think it's really cool. 
Yeah, these are really cool. Speaking of cards that I wish were good enough for Constructed and probably just won't be, but are also very good limited, there's uh, <laughs> the next one's uh, Ingenious Inspiration, and it's... Igneous uh, Inspiration. Igneous. I'm sorry. I, I have it really small on my screen. Immediately, I was like, this is Igneous. I'm stupid. But uh, it's it's two and a red. It's a sorcery, and it just deals three damage to any target, which in Limited, this is a good enough rate, and Constructed, it's not. But it also learns, and I think this is going to be like the one of the, the like learn spells to get in this format. Like, this is going to be, like, I think one of the best uncommons and highest win rate uncommons, because it's going to kill something. It's going to probably kill your opponent's three drop or four drop, and then you're going to go get some very good card. Yeah, you're like, going to, um, like, get the three mana preordain lesson from your sideboard, yeah. Or, like, there's a there's one that's three, uh, it's it's five mana, but it's, like, three and blue-red, blue-red, you know, hybrid, and it's a five mana sorcery that just makes a four-four elemental token. And, like, that's just a good curve if you're, like, three drop this, like, do anything on four, you know, make a, like, you know what I mean? Like all that just sounds great to me, and that's the things I'm gonna want to do unlimited. Um, there's a there's a card draw spell that got printed, but I think it's just too expensive at five mana. It's three blue red, draw four cards, then discard two unless you discard an instant or sorcery card. So it's in the vein of like compulsive research and like thirst for knowledge, but five mana is a lot. I think, but you five, do draw like, four. I think in a lot of decks it's gonna be pretty easy to draw four, discard one. Like this is the kind of card that wants to be played in a draw go control deck with a lot of counter spells and stuff. Um, and I think this card is powerful enough to see play in that kind of deck. And just the question is, you know, is that kind of deck going to be good? So can it can this card find home? If it does, it's definitely good enough. Uh, but those kinds of decks aren't always good enough to be, you know, see play in standard. And right now, the best version of that kind of deck is Demir Rogues. So you're now not only do you have to be, you know, have the tools yourself to compete against the rest, you have to be a better version of Demir Rogues than Rogues is. And that means competing with into the story. So I think until Rogues rotates, I I wouldn't hold my breath on this card. But once it does, maybe you can look into a different style of, you know, Drago control deck that plays more like both the multiverse didn't say please. Uh, and this card would f- slot well into a deck like that. And yeah, so like I'm I'm pretty interested in, in seeing cards like this, like you said, and l- l- let's revisit this in a year, you know, kind of thing. Um, so this card, this next one I'm talking about, this is a big legendary creature in the set that turns into a really expensive sorcery as well. So it's a, it's a interesting card on both ends. This is Exodus, um, something overlord. I have no idea how to pronounce that. It's one white, black, black for a legendary creature, human warlock. It's, two, it's a two, four, and it's a mythic and it has double strike. It also has magecraft. So whenever you cast or copy an instance or spell, you can return target non-legendary creature from your graveyard to your hand. So, uh, I don't see that being good enough, like this side being good enough but the other side is like this crazy ass spell that we're gonna talk about for a second this is six the the other side is the draw (laughs) yeah this this is awaken the blood avatar honestly someone needs to uh you know make their own art on this of the original blade movie him and frost because like that's what he was doing he was literally trying to awaken a blood avatar so i was like this is this is actually that blood avatar sounds like the name of a metal band and awaken the blood avatar sounds like a metal song oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, this is this is definitely the name of your band for sure. Alright, so this is Awaken the Blood Avatar. It's a sorcery at six black red. As an additional cost to cast the spell, you may sacrifice any number of creatures. For each one that you sacrifice, this is two less colorless to cast. So, you know, you can sacrifice some creatures in your in your black red sack deck to make this thing. Um so what the spell does, each opponent sacrifices a creature, and then you create a three six black and red avatar creature token with haste. And it says, whenever this creature attacks, it deals three damage to each opponent. So this is a card where if you can get value out of, like, sacrificing creatures or, like, that's the other thing. This card can be quite powerful because even at, let's say you sacrifice two creatures, right? 
So then you're reducing it by four and you're making it cost four. This seems pretty good to me. Yeah, I I, I think at, you know, at four mana for essentially a six, six haste, you're doing some good things. Like maybe you sacrifice. It's a it's a sorcery, right? We yeah. can't do any also not sacrificing Proxa with the trigger on the stack. Right, but um, your opponent also sacrifices a creature here too. So oh yeah, like that's yeah. also a big thing. I, yeah, and you get a, uh, a, another card out of it that way. So you're say like if you're sacrificing the goat token from a, a Woe Strider and your one drop or whatever, and casting this on turn four after your Woe Strider, and you're getting a better creature than your one drop from your opponent, like you're getting their two or three drop. That's that seems reasonable to me, and uh, so. Uh, this is a this is a card that I'm interested in. I've got to you know find the right home for it. The, the issue is like the Rakdos Sacrifice deck, right as it's currently constructed, isn't that aggressive? You know, it's not like a, the days of Dreadhorde Butcher. Uh, but and this card really wants you to be pretty aggressive. Uh, so you got to retool it a little bit. But uh, clearly, the Rakdos deck needs to be retooled anyway because it's unplayable right now. So you know, maybe that's just a good thing. But th- th- yeah, this this card ha- has power to me. This is one of the most exciting cards I've seen so far in the set. And then like, and that's literally just taking the Rakdos card by itself. Even though like I wouldn't be at all excited by that Orzov car- the side of it, you know, as a standalone card. If you're a Mardu deck and it just comes along for free, or you're a Rakdos deck that just has eight white pathways in it, you know, and and so your Orzov card then still just comes along for free in your Rakdos deck, you know, that that card, yeah, it's not great, but. You know, like in, in the one thing you got to learn in magic is when something comes along for free, like it doesn't have to be great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like the lesson cards. Yeah. You know? I mean, like if, if I pay $10 for, for a mediocre this. cheeseburger, I'm pretty disappointed. If I get one for free, I'm pretty happy. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> right? free definitely tastes better. And speaking of not free, but stuff that can become cheaper, there's like a cycle of cards in the set that you can pay two different costs for. We're going to start with the black one here. And uh, I love the name of it because it's it's in a different language. It's uh, Dominio Sinestrio instead of uh, Sinister Dominance. And it's three and a black for an instant. But you may pay one and a black instead of play, paying this card's mana cost. If you pay one and a black instead of the four, your opponent may draw a card. And it's just exile target creature or planeswalker. So it's a four mana instant, a three and a black that exiles a creature or planeswalker. We've already seen a, this card you know, with two life added on to attack one, be good enough. Exiling is important, but there's also the opportunity, you know, early in the game, they play something you can't deal with, or like you just need to fit in multiple spells. You can pay two mana for this and have your opponent draw a card. And that might not be the end of the world if you're getting really, you know, a really good turn, et cetera. You're getting a lot of stuff to work out. I could definitely see these cards, especially this one getting played. Yeah, of the cycle so far, this one seems by miles the best one because it seems like the one where the regular cast mode is good enough. Yeah. It would be a mediocre removal spell. You wouldn't want to play a lot of them. But now, again, like you're, you're get, think of this as, again, you're an, another mode of the card that you're getting for free. You're, you know, you're not excited to get to always draw a card that says two mana exile a creature or planeswalker. Your opponent draws a card. But there's going to be times when you really need it on turn two, uh, and then you'll happily cast it. Uh, one thing that uh, my co-host, Corey Baumeister, pointed out on the show yesterday when somebody brought this card up from the audience is that it synergizes quite nicely because it's an instant with Narset, Parter of Veils. So you can cast it on their Ooh. turn, and they don't get to Ooh. draw the card, and you just get like a really it. efficient removal spell. I like then, it. You know, there's a... I, I saw somebody post about a historic deck with with four Narsets and Days Undoing, or maybe it was a no, it was Pioneer deck. Um 
with with days like it was a Narset control deck with days doing like this is a card that could go pretty well in that deck. You know, they've played Heroes Downfall in Inverter before that kind of effect. This would be a better version, especially if you're, you know, playing to have Narset on the battlefield as often as possible. So, yeah, a uh, re- reasonable card here, and, and I can envision the home for it, especially with that Narset synergy. Yeah, um, I really like this this next card, at least the look of it. We'll have to see how good it is. This one created a lot of hype on Twitter when it got previewed. This is uh, Clever Lumamancer. It's a, it's a zero one for one white. And it's a human wizard, but it has magecraft. So whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, this gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. So here's one of the payoffs for magecraft. And if you can make a Jeskai deck with a whole bunch of spells and you play this on turn one, it's going to deal a lot of damage. But this is not Monastery Swift Spear. I think it's like, you know, kind of what people are thinking about. This is more like, uh, what was the Step Links? This is more like Step Links, but it's harder than Step Links because it's not just put it, like playing a land. You, know, you have to cast a spell, you know, kind of thing. And it's going to be weird because, like, you're going to want to play spells that make sure you find other spells. So you're going to want to play, like, that blue-red card and, like, oh, I want to find more spells. But then your deck's not super aggressive at that point. So you're not really, like, you know, utilizing the, the extra power out of this as much. You, you didn't think, like, this is a strange card to me. I mean, I think it slots pretty well into into a prowess deck. You know, I think people are going to try Boros Prowess and Modern and have 12 good one-drops. I think that deck wants, you know, more than eight one-drops. I think if, if you printed literally red 1-2 Prowess as a creature with no other abilities, they would play it. I'm not sure they would play the full four. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure you want 12. So maybe, but I would, I would certainly try at 12 and go down. Um see if that's too many, but I do think, you know, it's pretty powerful with Lava Darts and, and Light Up the Stages and stuff. You know, that's a, can turn the Prowess deck into really consistent turn three kills. Uh, so I think that's basically the only home for it, but it seems to me like it's pretty powerful in that kind of shell. Sure, yeah. Uh, the next one, kind of going to be skipping some cards here. We're going to go to the uh, Verdant Mastery. This is the green version of the black card that we talked about where you get to, you know, two different mana costs. So it's a, it's a six mana sorcery. It's five and a green. But you can pay three and a green instead if you want. So, you I'm like sorry, Joe Ingles just hit a disgusting three from the corner. Oh, it was uh, so good. All right, we'll get done here as soon as possible. <laughs> because I'm actually getting pretty tired, and we're gonna have to cut this the, this preview into, into two anyway, just because we're not gonna get through everything. Um, but this one says, search your library for up to four basic land cards and reveal them. Put one of them onto the battlefield tapped under an opponent's control if the four mana cost was paid. Put two of them on the battlefield tapped under your control and the rest in your hand, then shuffle. So this is like at four mana, you get to explosive vegetation, put a land into your hand, but you also have to give them a land. And you get to choose the opponent. So I think in like commander, people are going to really love this card because they can just like give it to the, per- like give it to a random person or like, you know, their buddy. This is going to be a really cool card in two headed. Is this, this say opponent? Yeah, it does say opponent. You can't do it. It doesn't say players. You can't do it in like uh, two at a giant or whatever. But oh, yeah, give it to your partner. That would yeah, be give it to your partner and just be sick. like, oh, dead. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. But um, this is an interesting card. I'm sure someone's gonna try it somewhere. I don't know if I have the balls to do it, but it it reads powerful. But I'm not I mean, sure. Don't we have we have migration path in standard, right? Yeah, but this also puts another land into your hand. Like, that's land. certainly not worth putting a land into play under your opponent's control. I agree. It's I not agree. even close to worth it. And, I like, agree. and the, so that's what's weird to me. Like, the black one, we've seen cards that are around that rate as the normal cast, and then you got a significant discount. This is a card that's, like, 
not even better than just explosive vegetation or migration path or whatever. That effect, four mana, find two basics, put them into play tapped. And it, like this effect is worse than that. And for some reason, they've priced it higher and made the, like, I guess the, the, the actual effect is, is better, right? Because it, it's the four mana one that has to get, you have to give them the land. But like, that's a, that's such a huge cost. And yeah, like, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not even sure I would want to play that effect at three mana. Like, you probably would. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, that's a, that's a pretty big cost. Like, if I tap out for that on turn three on the draw, I'm worried I'm going to die. Or like, you know, if you do that, uh, yeah, if I'm on the draw, at, then you ramp your opponent to turn five and they have like Goldspan Dragon, negate your spell. Like, I, I'm just, I'm just always so worried. You know, I've, I've talked uh, several times on, on the show about how important it is or how, uh, you know, really nice it is to get things for free yourself. You know, the converse of that is how really bad it is to give your opponent things for free. Yeah, yeah. Good you point. know, I, I would, I do not want to do that if I can help it at all. So this card is a no-go for me. Yeah, and if you've uh, been listening to this whole show, and I hope you have, I've been talking about how there's a lot of bears in this format that are, like, kind of interesting. And there's there's another one that's coming up here that's red. It's called Conspiracy Theorist. It's one in like a red for... Yeah, I do too. It's one in a red for a creature, human, shaman. It's a 2-2. When it attacks... You may pay one colorless and discard a card if you do draw a card. And then it says, uh, when you discard one or more non-land cards, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may cast it until the end of the turn. So this is pretty cool in the fact that it kind of keeps the you know the train going while you're attacking. The fact that it kind of just adds madness to a lot of your cards. And then you get to kind of draw cards as you're going. So... In a red deck that's got a bunch of cheap spells, if this thing doesn't die, you're going to be like very efficient for the rest of the game and casting and using all of your mana every turn. Yeah, and you know, and generating card advantage at the same time. So I like you know being efficient and generating card advantage. Usually, you don't get to do both, and that's what I like about the card. It's still a two mana two two in Bone Crusher Giants world. You know, we can keep complaining about all of the throne cards, um, so that that might keep it from seeing play. Uh, but this is a really cool card, and I hope it sees play at least at some point, even if it has to wait yeah. until Throne rotates. Yeah. Uh, the next card I want to talk about is a card that I think I'm higher on than I think anyone else has really been talking about. It. I haven't seen almost no press on it. This is uh, Intervention of the Dragon. I think that's the name of it. Again, this is translated. It's a two red red sorcery. It says, as an additional cost to the spell, exile an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. This card deals X damage to each non-dragon creature where X is the mana value of the exiled card. If a creature dealt damage this way would die, exile it instead. And then this card gets exiled as well. Exile Intervention of the Dragons. Now, this reads like it could be like a four mana Red Wrath kind of card, right? Like, you know, deal X damage, you can kind of make this way. I hear that, like, you know, it's, it's obviously hard to get an expensive enough instant or sorcery into your graveyard before turn four. But I'm looking at those cards that we talked about a little earlier where you could exile them to make a treasure token. And they're like seven, eight mana. And then you could also just cast this card on turn three from that. So if like if you're going second and your opponent goes like one, two, three, or whatever, you're like, all right, into your into your turn, like, you know, discard discard this card from my hand, make a treasure token, play my third land, wrath you, you know, pretty easily. And make sure you get everything. You don't have to get, you know, the five and sevens, but if you have something that big, you can still kill a love struck beast, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's the also, key, is is at least getting yes. a five. You want to kill a love struck also, beast, you want to get a five. Yeah. Also, it says non-dragon on it, which I think is very uh, is, is very interesting because in a deck like this, in a deck that has those really expensive sorceries and instants that I think are really cool, I want to play Goldspan Dragon in those decks because it makes my treasures better that I'm getting off the spells, 
and I can cast all this other stuff a lot sooner, right? Like, if you ever get to untap with the gold Mandarin, they're probably dead because you're probably casting, like, an 8 or 9 drop or something like that. But you also have this as, like, all right, clear the way and my dragon survives. I'm already got, like, you know, the wheels turning in my head. I don't know if this deck will be good, but I'm going to have a lot of freaking fun messing around with all these cards together. Yeah, I'm I'm skeptical of the just straight up play this on turn three because that line involves you essentially using two cards, right? Because mm-hmm. the I'm saying you can. It's yeah, you yeah it's, it's nice yeah. to have the option, but that that's not you know super powerful to me. But I do agree that though the the cards that you know have that two mana discard make a treasure ability are really cool with Goldspan Dragon, and there's the obvious treasure theme in Prismari here with their Elder Dragon Prismari. Um, Command makes a treasure as one of its modes, and all of these uh, these sorceries you can discard for them. And then along with Magda, like, I wonder if that's, like, the direction they're trying to push us, and you can get this, like, you know, deck that doesn't generate tempo in that traditional way where you're, you know, playing draw-go and reacting to your opponent and either, you know, efficiently answering what they're doing with a counterspell or casting some threat on their end step, but you're actually just generating so much extra mana through all of these treasures, through the course of just casting your spells. You know, you're getting a treasure on turn three when you kill their Edgewall Innkeeper with Prismari Charm. Then you're casting, you know, the the four-mana dragon, and you have two treasures, and you're tapping those for two mana to interact with them, like Petty Theft or Stomp or Negate or, or, or something. And then next turn, you're playing Goldsman Dragon and attacking, and now you have three treasures that all, you know, can sacrifice for two mana or tap for one mana for instance and sorceries, and I could do something else. And, you know, maybe if I flood, I rip a Magda Lake game, and I have a million treasures stall on the battlefield, and I just sack them all and get a dragon. You know, that kind of deck seems kind of cool to me. And, uh, you know, maybe there's something there if you do, if you combine them all. Uh, and obviously, like, there'd be a, a good number of dragons in that kind of deck. So maybe this card fits as a sort of sweeper that doesn't really hit you except for the Magdas. Um, but, you know, th- just as a sort of standalones that fit into normal decks, I'm not really seeing it. Um, but we'll, we'll see just how powerful those synergies are when they're, they're fully developed. That's definitely is something I'll explore on Versus. Yeah, up next, we'll talk about a card that goes into that kind of card that I talked about earlier, where I know this card is probably powerful. I don't know if I'm smart enough to figure it out. This is uh, ecological appreciation. This is X2 green for a sorcery. This is a mythic. It says, search your library and graveyard for up to four creature cards with different names that each have mana value X or less and reveal them. An opponent chooses two of those. Shuffle uh, the chosen cards into your library and put the rest onto the battlefield, exile this card. So this is kind of like a gifts ungiven where X is, you know, for your creatures and then you get two of them to be put into play. So I'm probably not smart enough to make this work, but I could see someone making a combo deck with this where like, you know, X doesn't have to be that high. It's X two and a green and they have to have mana value X or less. Yes. So, so if you do like five one mana, two, you get two drops. Um, no, they, uh, you can if at five mana. Okay, yeah, at five mana you get two drops. I'm sorry, I, I thought for a second it would be three. Yeah, no, you're yeah. Right. So at five mana you start getting two drops. That's like if it was five mana and I could find three drops, I think I'd be interested. But is I this think... is this is this good enough in the the green white company deck in in modern where you have like devoted druid and stuff? Um, so you, you search for four creatures and they it's just gifts and given, but and they go onto the battlefield. Well, yeah. one of the issue with devoted druid is that like they could give you the druid and you can kill it. Um, and so, and it, the others go in your graveyard. No, they get shuffled they back get shuffled in. So, so etern- like you can't really get eternal witness, which is like that regrow effect was important to gifts and given piles. 
True. right? And you can't really do that with the, with this card. I, I would be interested if you could get threes, but I, I don't think there's going to be enough twos. And especially because if you're building with this around this card, you probably want to be building with lots of twos. And when you're building with Coco, you want to be building with threes. So it's hard to play both. Um, I, I think that they made, I think they priced themselves one too high for this card to see constructed play. I'd be, I'd be interested in X one in a green. Yeah, I, I can see that. Let me skip it over a few cards here. We can maybe come back. We'd like them more later, but have you seen a Eureka moment yet? I have not. Uh, so that one's, it's kind of like, you know, play on what we've already had in Sander. So it's two green is, blue. Is the art a picture of a person in a bathtub? No. Missed it's opportunity a, there. Yeah, no. So okay. you, do, do you know the, the reference? Is, is it from the card Eureka? Mm, no, it's it's the the phrase, the word Eureka, or the, well, it's just a Greek word, but there's a story about Archimedes who... Oh, in the bathtub? Or yeah, it was in the bathtub, or... figured out what, what he was thinking about, which was about buoyancy. Uh, yeah. and the Archimedean principle and, you know, he jumped out his bathtub and ran down the street yelling Eureka. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's Eureka moments, two green, blue. It's, uh, it's an instant. It's draw two cards that you may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. So, uh, growth spiral, like times two, sort of, you know, you get to draw the extra card for two extra mana. So probably not good enough, but like, it's just funny, right? To like see this card right after we had to, you know, practically ban growth spiral because it was just so yeah. good. I mean, I, I think this, We've seen the power of this style of effect with Escape to the Wilds. Um, Escape, obviously, you know, significantly more powerful. You, you usually got to draw like four to five cards off of it. Um, you know, probably on on average, I would say on average, you drew like very close to around to around four, honestly. Um, you know, whereas like Urban Evolution back in the day didn't really see play. But, you know, drawing, the problem with drawing a bunch of cards as a spell is you usually don't have time to deploy them all because you're, you've lost tempo casting the spell. Uh, and, you know, getting that explorer effect helps mitigate that tempo loss. Um, and I, I think, you know, comparing it to something like Urban Evolution, this seems better to me. I think I would rather pay the one less mana and draw the one less card uh, in, in 2021 Magic. Uh, it's also so, an instant, right? And so, Urban Evolution was a sorcery, I think. Yeah, and this is an instant. Yeah. yeah, even better. So this is a card to me that like sits in a space between a card that didn't really see play and below a card that saw quite a bit of play, and that means like definitely potentially playable. So it's it's mm -hmm. in an interesting range. Yeah. Um, now a card that I think actually might see a decent bit of play that I'm excited to try out, especially with like the ramifications it has of cards that like we didn't think we'd ever see printed again especially into standard. This is an uh, emergent sequence. It's one in a green. It's a sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card. Put it in the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. That land becomes a zero, zero green and blue fractal creature. That's still a land. Put a plus, plus, a counter on it for each land you had entered the battlefield under your control this turn. So here's the thing. It's rampant growth, right? Like, you know, you can go get a basic land and they haven't had rampant growth for a very, very long time. Now, yeah, it does make the land vulnerable to removal. Like, right? Like it, the problem is immediately you get stomped. Right, because it's going to be a two-two most of the time. Because like on turn two, you're going to play a land, play this, like put another land into play. You can obviously do something somewhere if your deck can play extra lands. You know, if cards like Eureka Moment and stuff and put extra stuff in. You know, if you want to make a big turn like that. But here's the thing: I do still think that like even in rampish decks, this card might just be good enough because a it is a ramp spell. B it it does suck in some situations where your land's going to get caught up in sweepers or it's going to get stomped by Bone Crusher Giant, but they don't have it. Like you're still getting like pretty good value out of this, but you are giving them a good target for Bone Crusher, which kind of sucks. But 
against aggro decks, you are still putting a blocker into play and getting and getting a land out of your out of your deck. So I'm not sure about this card. It's it's interesting to me. I I agree. I think this is an interesting card as well. Um, you, you're right in that you know bone crusher giant again is the problem, uh, and that that's explicitly the problem more so than like the sweepers or anything else. Um, because usually if you're a ramp deck, you know, the removal is pretty bad against you. And I don't think this would make it that much better, but Bonecrusher Giant as a removal spell has such a high floor because it's also a creature that, you know, when you don't draw the ramp spell, they don't have to cast stomp. They just get the four, three. And when you do draw the ramp spell, they have the removal spell. So they just end up on the right side of the threat answer equation way more often. And that's really the power of Bonecrusher Giant. You know, we've often seen... In, you know, creature light mirrors where a pl players will bring in some like cheap creature that they can, you know, resolve under counter spells that generates value like Azure Mage back in the day, you know, the vault would go far. Yeah. Um, Dragon Master Outcast in twin mirrors, you know, stuff like that. And like, you know, yeah, if your opponent wants to bring in their like, you know, their shock or whatever, whatever cheap removal spell they have to answer your like two threats then sure, you let them do it, and then you just don't play your threat as aggressively. You wait until you have counterspell backup, and it's still fine. You know, Bonecrusher Giant kind of ruins that and just gives them a very easy way to answer it that they they never get caught with a dead card. Um, but, you know, you're, this card is good enough that, like, it's going to be great in matchups where they don't really have an easy answer to it. You know, like Mono White Aggro, Skyclad Apparition doesn't hit the land, Giant Killer doesn't hit it most of the time, and the games where, like, you make a 3-3 out of it and that card is relevant are going to be pretty nice. So I, I like this card. I, I think it's good. I think it'll be suppressed a bit by um by Bonecrusher Giant. It also, it, the, the Sweeper issue is a problem if you're playing Sweepers in your own deck. You know, I think when I'm trying to compare this card like Wolf Willow Haven in um, Sultai Ultimatum, you know, that deck's playing Extinction Event and Shadows Verdict. Sometimes you can name Odd with Extinction Event, but you're going to want to name Even, you know, some of the time. And Shadows Verdict, of course, answers it because it's CMC Zero. Sorry, mana value. Um, so, yeah, there are some problems with it, but we know how powerful Rampant Growth can be. You know, there's a reason they don't put it in Standard every single time now. The last time it was in Standard, it was a, you know, format-defining staple. Um I guess like was Farseekin more recently than than Rampant Growth. I remember Farseek yeah, with John. So yeah, I think so. But it's yeah, a similar kind of effect. Yeah, it, it was in that format. It was like obviously bossy because you had dual lands. But if it yeah. wasn't for actual factual dual lands, it would have been a very similar card. It would have just been Farseek that couldn't get a forest yeah. or Rampant Growth that couldn't get a forest. Yeah, but R R Rampant Growth is uh is you know it's a powerful magic card. And this one, you know, is, there are going to be games when this card is better than Rampant Growth and games where it's worse. So you can't really definitively say whether or not it's better or worse overall, and that's usually a good sign. You know, when you have uh, when you when you're comparing to a card that's already good, and you have some aspects that make it better and some that make it worse, you're probably going to end up somewhere pretty close to the good card that you're comparing it to. So you, you feel pretty confident that this card is also you know above the bar to see play. If you're comparing to a card that was previously bad. Uh, and, you know, you don't have contextual reasons to think that this effect is now going to be better in a new environment, then you're saying, well, I'm probably going to be anchored, you know, to this bad card. It's probably, this one's probably not going to be good enough. So I, I like this card. I'm excited to, to do cool things with it. Um, I, I, I want to see on camera somebody make like a 4-4 with it. So, so here's the thing. I was going to talk about one other thing with this card and then go into the next spoiler card that actually works really well with this because 
I do think that it's a little bit better than Raven of Growth in some spots where like if you draw it late game, it like, you know, it makes a at least a one one or a two two, which is not irrelevant. You know, it's at least puts a body into place so you're doing something. But there's this card that also got previewed today called uh Quandrix Cultivator. It's it's a four mana card. It's one green blue and then one of green or blue, right? Yeah, For a three four. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a three four. And when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a basic forest or island card and put it on the battlefield. Not tapped, it just puts it on the battlefield. So this is another card that like, you know, you can ramp into from two to four with that card. It's also good when you have both of these in the same turn, because again, the land comes to play untapped. So like you might be able to like play your land for your turn, play this, right? Get the land, and then we're like you'll have two mana left over once you play that land untapped, and then play the other card, and then you're like, you know, you've put three or four lands into play this turn, so you make a bigger creature. And this is pretty cool because like you know, in, in the past, when I think of the ramp decks, and I have played ramp decks, like my first SCG top eight ever, I played, you know, Green Red Devotion. It was like pretty much a ramp deck, you know, kind of thing. And one of the problems those decks would have is like the aggressive decks could beat you down because like when you're casting rampant growth and then you cast explosive vegetation or solemn simulacrum, like you're not putting enough bodies into play and ways to stop them from attacking. They get to free roll you for the first like three or four turns attacking wise and then burn you out. So here... You're, you know, you're making extra bodies, and this thing being a 3-4, like, that's a pretty big body for a ramp spell that's attached to this 4-mana card. And I'm thinking that, like, you know, depending on how the format goes and if it slows down or what decks or whatever, this might be a card that might be a player in a ramp deck along with this card, uh, Emergent Sequence, that we were just talking about. Yeah, I'm wondering if um, we're going to see a sort of landfall kind of thing emerge with, um, with Genesis Ultimatum at the top of the curve and, like, Phylath. Where, you know, you're hitting Phylath off Genesis Ultimatum, a land or two, and, like, a Solemn Simulacrum, and this card, and so you just have a million lands out of the battlefield in one turn, and you make this huge battlefield off of Genesis Ultimatum. You know, obviously, like, Terror of the Peaks could go well with that, too, because you have all these extra creatures going around. We know how good Terror is with um, Genesis Ultimatum. You know, that could be a cool way of doing things. I think, it is, you know, normally, obviously, the adventure creatures are really powerful, which is nice, and they generate some card advantage with Edgewell Innkeeper when that card sticks. But one of the reasons they're really good, like you said, um, is that, like, ramp decks can sometimes struggle against fast aggro decks because you're dirtling around in the early game and they're just killing you, and the, you know, adventure package will let you play really good defense. And these, But these cards also let you play some good defense. You know, you do a little blocking so that, you know, you have time to get to seven mana even if your opponent curves out pretty well. So uh, that's an that's an interesting thing. I might have to look into trying to, like, you know, do some cool stuff with Landfall. Um, you know, obviously, like, Lotus Cobra would be great in this deck. They help you set up these, like, cool double spell turns. You know, if you go turn two Lotus Cobra, turn three, you play a land, you, you're now at four mana, you play this three, four card, you get a land untapped, then you play the two mana Rampant Growth. Now you've had three lands out of the battlefield, so you've got a three, three, a three, four, and a two, one, and you've double ramped, so you're at five lands, and you have a Lotus Cobra, you're set to Genesis Ultimatum on turn four, and you've, yeah. made, and you've made three creatures. And, like, a, a big thing that, you know, I didn't think about this, we talked about the inadequacies of that deck versus aggro, where you're not putting enough stuff into play. If you think about the matchup from the other end, like generally when you're playing ramp against control, they would generally ignore your ramp spells and then counterspell the one, two, or three payoffs that you have in the game. But now your ramp spells actually put bodies into the board. They put a two, two, they put a three, three, they put a three, four into play. So now you're pressuring them and they're going to have to cast a wrath on you. And then you're going to untap and cast your six drop. Yeah, that, you're gonna, that's, you're gonna play that's a great point. Or if they like board out their wraths and just have a ton of counterspells, they're just going to die. 
So yeah, they're forced like, yeah. to leave in some spells that maybe they don't want to leave yeah. in. Maybe now they're like they draw too much of the removal that they left in and not enough of the counter spells. They can't even stop all your big threats. You know, that's a that's a great way, a great point, because this, you know, the the playing early defense is just one half of the equation. You know, normally you think cards that play good defense against aggro are bad against control. In this case, your early defensive cards are also pressuring the control decks, yeah. so they're playing double duty. They're good at both ends of the spectrum. Um, and and the same went for the adventure package, right? You know, certain control decks, you know, had a hard time dealing with Lovestruck Beast and Edge Dwelling Keeper, and those cards are great. So, you know, obviously, like, you know, it's a pretty high bar to clear. The adventure package has sort of dominated standard over the last six months uh, since Uro was banned and Omnath, but... This is a uh, you know oh also all these cards were meant to be played with uh, with Omnath right so th- I think they're you know pretty clearly pointing us in that direction uh, but we don't have have that major payoff thank God uh, but still still a cool avenue to explore I'm, I'm you know I'm gonna watch the Jazz game obviously when we're done here uh, finish watching it but I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna write down a sketch of a of a team or landfall deck that'll that'll be a next week versus deck. So you, 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 everybody listening, you know, when this gets posted late this week or this weekend, you, next week, you can look forward to, to that deck. That's definitely going to be on, on the brewing list. Yeah, if you want some, some you know, help messing around with it, just let me know. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and, like, uh, you know, you, you've got something to watch. I'm, I'm not feeling great and kind of want to go eat and get get some rest. Yeah, like I said, I've had a rough day. a little day. overrated, underrated, and then wrap up the show. Uh, we, I was going to say, we could, even just, we could even just save those, but uh, we'll do it. We'll do a few. We'll, we'll do a few. Let me pull Let's let me do pull five, Tannen, and, and we won't talk long, okay, I promise. Sure, sure. By we, I All mean right. me. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, we did some of these. Uh, all right. Uh, Chase says play mats. I'm going to go with overrated unless they're the new uh, MTG Rants playmats you've got from being a Patreon. Uh, yes, that's the that playmat is underrated. All other playmats overrated. I really like it. Yeah. So unless play- you have like a unless you have one that has like some kind of uh, like, you know, meaning to you, you know what I mean? Like it's a special one or something, you know, like obviously yeah, so cool. I'm, I'm obviously speaking from my perspective as a competitive yeah, magic player, right? So I am like, you know, if you're not a competitive magic player and you like playmats for some other reason, you know, I'm not speaking to you. So there are three purposes in my life that playmats have served. Okay. First, uh, sometimes back in the day, the PTQ tables were dog shit. And, you know, the, the quality of the, like they were not rotting, but like the, the tables that seemed better wood. days. They were not something you wanted to put, they were not something you wanted to even put your sleeves down on because they could actually mark your sleeves and like, you know, force you to keep resleeving even in the middle of a match, right? So you could protect your, you know, your sleeves that way from horrible PTQ tables if your TO was uh, a cheapskate. That was, uh, you know, one. So like back in the day, I rarely used a playmat, but I would carry one with me and I would use it if the tables were awful. Two, again, if your PTQ uh, TO was a cheapskate and they stuffed people in and you barely had any room, a playmat would mark your space so people wouldn't get into your space. Now, there was there was etiquette about this. If you didn't have a ton of space and you still laid out your entire playmat into my space, I was mad. And I would literally just fold their playmat over. I would fold it over their deck. I'd just get it out, you know? I don't I or I would put my stuff right on top of it. And most people were generally cool with that. But I would usually fold, you know, a third of my playmat under or whatever and take the amount of space that was reasonable. But it was important to be able to demarcate and claim your space when PTQ space was tight. That was the second function. And more recently, playmats serve a nice function of being an easy way to get money from sponsors. So, you know, I've played with BCW playmats for the last couple of years, 
And that was a nice way for, you know, the, the sponsor to feel like they were getting something out of it. Obviously, we, you know, we did a lot more with BCW, but that was part of it. And, you know, a ton of other people have, you know, branded playmats in, in the same regard. So uh, those three things are the three things that playmats have, you know, served a, a real purpose for me. And outside of that, I just, I just don't, I want to carry like the least amount of stuff and worry about the least amount of stuff possible. So, you know, the idea of just having a playmat to have a playmat is very weird to me. And it was weird, you know, in 2004, too. You know, people did, most people didn't play with playmats back in the day. Uh, obviously, like, our, you know, the community is much different now. So, uh, but those those three things. And for the most part, you know, I would prefer not to use them. <laughs> I would prefer to have lots of space, you know, have nice tables and, you know, have enough money that I don't need sponsors. But the last one is not really the yeah. case. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Kofira or Wessel Gert says hitting with a three zero count. Um, I think this is underrated. Uh, we've mentioned this in the show. If you've listened to every episode, um, you know someone got in trouble because it's a no no to swing at the three zero count. And I think it's one of the most ridiculous things, like unwritten rules in baseball. I think it's one of the reasons that the game is suffering, and you're not seeing as many people come to it because there's all these unwritten rules that keep you from having fun. It's not necessarily like any individual of those unwritten rules itself, too. It's the like it's the totality of them and like the slavish devotion that like old school baseball people have to them because it it gives this air of haughtiness to the sport and makes it inaccessible yeah. or at least makes it seem inaccessible, even if it might not otherwise be. So let's talk about the actual logic side of it, right? So if a pitcher has an O2 count on you. Are they supposed to not throw a strike because it's because it's the worst hitters it's the worst hitters count you can get you know you like you know any strike and you're out now I mean it makes it really hard for you to hit because everything close is a strike and like you know et cetera et cetera but the pitchers take full advantage of that right you know they start throwing balls all over the place you know yeah you know, the curveball the zones dirt, chase you know yeah you know blah 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 so there's no rule that they have to take it easier on the hitter when the hitter has the worst count but you're supposed to take it easier on the pitcher. When the pitcher has, and like, I get it in some, you know, if you're up 15 freaking runs and it's like a rookie on the mound or like it's a position player pitching, like I, I get having some sportsmanship there, but here's the thing. If you're a hitter and like, you know, you're trying to make money, you're trying to be good at this game and blah, 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 and you have the best possible hitters count, swing the fucking bat when it's 3-0, kill that guy. And, like, and that's a count that you, presumably you've earned, right? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We've learned in baseball that drawing walks is a skill. Yeah. It's not your fault. They suck. And here's the other thing. Here's the other part of it. You don't want people hitting with a 3-0 count. A, don't give them a 3-0 count. Yeah. B, get the motherfucker out. You know what I mean? Throw better pitches. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's I, I, just, I think it's absurd. Ridiculous. And like the old school thing thing is ridiculous, like you said. Um, Leo the Magic Man says records and record players. I think they're a little overrated. Yeah, people get a little too into them. I, I like them. You know, I like listening on vinyl. Um, usually for like... Uh, you know, music of that era, because then you get that sort of total aesthetic. Um, I um, my dad has has an old record player that you know he's owned for fifty something years, um, and I've listened to you know some of his old records. He's he's got some he's got some cool stuff. He's had like the White Album, a Zeppelin album, you know, the, like classic rock stuff. the The favorite one that I've actually listened to is uh, Truth by the Jeff Beck Trio, which is one of the first bands that Rod Stewart sang for. I know Rod Stewart, like, now is, like, kind of a joke, but he was, like, you know, a serious rock vocalist in the 60s and early 70s uh, before his solo career. And that album is gas. And really good on vinyl. But, yeah, overall overrated. 
And yeah, I'm actually going to call it right there on the overrated, underrated. We got yeah, a little bit of long that's enough. answers. But also, you know what's not underrated, Ross? What is that? Barrister and Man. True, true. Very they underrated. They're definitely very underrated. So if you haven't checked out their website, it's barristerandman.com. Um, this is, you know, sponsored. We are sponsored by Barrister and Man. Uh, but I'm a big fan of their stuff. Uh, some of their seasonal things that I really like, it's like the Diamond Collection is in is in play right now, and it hadn't been for a while, and I highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's baseball-scented stuff, so I definitely think you should try that out. Um if you weren't traumatized using... by T-ball, then it's right up your yeah. alley. Yeah, exactly. Or coach's pitch. The first time you get hit by a ball, it does not feel good. Um, so uh, the things that I've been using the most have been the uh, the hand soaps uh, for obvious reasons over the last year. And just, you know, I've been trying to be cleaner. Um, the body soaps, uh, I love the fact that it's just a few ingredients. Because I'm not going to lie. Like, I've talked about this. And, like, there's this big thing going on where they're talking about how a lot of the top uh, shampoo people, uh, companies there's this thing that one of the chemicals they put in it actually accelerates hair loss. And I'm kind of pissed about it. I've been like doing research on it and trying to find out like what shampoo I should be using instead. And it's like almost all the major brands use this crap. So I'm like, that sucks. And I don't like, uh, like gel soaps, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, those kind of things. I'm not a big fan of that stuff too much. Cause like, it just feels oozy and stuff. And I just like, you yeah, know, I like bar, soap. I like bar soaps. Uh, yeah. Bar soap is made of good ingredients. Yeah. It's just made of good, clean ingredients. And that's what you get from this. Um, and then the shaving stuff I've been using a ton. In fact, I've got some new ones coming that I'm super excited about, but I've got some new, um, uh, shaving, uh, cream. It's not, well, it's not a cream. It's the, the shaving soap that you like lather up and you put in your face. Again, it's made my razors last super long. My shave is better. My face feels better afterwards. My skin is better, but also the, uh, the aftershave balm. And it's not like a liquid. It's like a, it's like a more of a, it's not like, it's like a chunkier cream. I don't know how to say it without making it sound gross. <laughs> well, chunky <laughs> cream is definitely not the way to go. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a, it's like, it's, it's, it's like a cream with like a little more substance to it. You know what a, I mean? A little it's, more density? Yeah, a little more density. There you go. Yeah, sort of like and, a balm. Yeah, it's definitely a balm. That's what it is. It's a balm. And you just, you know, you rub that in afterwards instead of, you know, using aftershave. And I've got to say this, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt like aftershave does. It doesn't have that like lingering chemical feeling that you get from the other stuff. You're like, oh, it's burning. That's how you know it works. And it's like, no, that doesn't, that's not actually how it has to be. You know what I mean? Like we've been used to that for our whole lives. It doesn't have to be that way. And I don't know. I've just seen an improvement in my skin overall and my shaves overall, the smoothness overall and how I smell. I mean, it's nice to have all this, you know, nice scented stuff. I haven't been able to use the beard oil myself. You know, I got sent one and you have a, you know, nice luscious beard. I keep mine a little bit more kept. So I don't usually use it that way. But, but my best friend here has a, has been growing his beard out a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to gift him one of them soon. I'm going to report back on that whenever he's done. Oh, the, the beard oil is nice. You know, I, I'm not the kind of person that uses it all the time, but if I if I want my beard to look nice, it's kind of a special occasion thing for me. Uh, the first event back, you're you're you're, oh, you're, yeah. you're oiling up for sure. Oh yeah, I'm oiling up my entire body. Don't worry. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, I just, we definitely need to end the show because I might get a little excited. That, it's getting hot in here. That's our cue to end. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, make sure to check out Barrister and Man. That's Man with Two Ends. Barristerandman.com and use the code MTG Rants for fifteen percent off. Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you. See more of your rants or more of your luscious face and maybe that oiled up beard. <laughs> yeah, or oiled up other go? things. Or oiled up other things, yeah. Where would they go? Uh, first place and best place to go is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. One-stop shop to keep abreast of all of my content. Good place to ask me questions as well. Uh, speaking of that content, I do a weekly column for StarCityGames.com. That goes up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. This week's was all about Shiley, which we talked about last on last week's show, I believe, a little bit. 
Um, it's one of the the deans. It's one of the ones that I think has has some potential. Got a, some cool lists with it. Going to be playing one of them tomorrow on Versus. Uh, so if you didn't catch that live when you're listening to this, you can probably catch the VOD at that this point um, and see how that deck did. It's a little bit of a it's a Naya counters brew. So a lot of one and two drops playing Clarion Spirit and just Sparrow Sentinel. It's got uh, um, the the student card from this one, the the one mana one one. It's a zero zero that has a plus one plus one counter, and then sort of modulars them when it dies. Uh, and Stone Coil Serpent is the other one drop. So con- obviously Conclave Mentor, Luminarch Aspirant, um, and then Splashing Red for Showdown of the Scalds to give you a little late game. Uh, it goes really well with the Jasper Sentinel. The splash is easy with those and Pathways. Uh, so cool looking deck. Um, Shiley should be pretty cool in it. You know, anytime I can get two plus one plus one counters on a couple of creatures with uh, Conclave Mentor, it should work out pretty well. So that was my article this week. And then there is Versus Live. Uh, we're live on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 to 4 p.m. on the Star City Games Twitch channel. If you can't catch us live, the uh, episodes do go up as VODs on the YouTube channel. They go up the next day at 5 p.m. So it'll be uh, Wednesday and Friday instead of Tuesday and Thursday. So appreciate uh, checking in with any of my content. And then my Twitch channel, I promise is coming back soon. Um, you know, I don't know what soon is, but it'll it'll be back. Uh, and I am uh, Ross underscore Miriam. So just my name with the underscore on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to see more pictures of your adorable dog, where might they go? Because yeah, they don't want to see you, just the dog. Yeah, a lot of pictures of my dog and a lot of baseball talks about to start happening, but that's on my Twitter and that'll be the Tan and Grace. My Twitch is just the is is just Tan and Grace. There's no the there, but um, I have been way more active on that in the last like month or two than I have been in the past. And with the new set coming out soon, you can believe that I'm going to play a good bit of limit on there. I've been playing. Uh, I did a stream of Gladiator the other day for the first time, and I was actually a big fan of the format, and we'll be doing some more of that in the future. That's a little harder to set up. I can't just like spur the moment that one because you need someone to play with. Because it's like a it's a challenge format on uh, arena that people have put in. If you don't know what it is, it's a hundred card singleton format. Almost every card in arena is legal, besides like Field of the Dead, Oko, and a couple other cards like Teferi and stuff. There's no commander, but you just play against each other. So I'm, I'm a big fan of like hundred card singleton formats that are feel different often enough in the games. You know, with a commander, I feel like it's it's too it's too similar game after game after game. Also. Also, it's a 1v1 format, which I'm a bigger fan of. And you can play it on Arena, so it's a lot of fun. There's a Discord that's really big and stuff in there, so make sure you check that out if you're if you're into it. So, uh, yeah, and I think that's about it this week. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about, Say? No, I think we're good. We'll have the you know full set review show next week because we're going to have the entire set on Friday. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, excited to see what is coming out of the Golgari and, Golgari and Orzov are the two schools they haven't right, right. fully fleshed out A lot out of the black yet. cards. Yeah, a lot of the black cards, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be uh, what a, the Brennan DeCandio show, kind of, you know, <laughs> sure, his, sure. his kind of card. So we'll see we'll see how, how spell-oriented these two schools are, if they're more, like, creature spell-oriented. I don't know. I, I think we could see some very interesting design stuff with the way yeah. the cards have been going. So Agreed. I'm pretty excited about that. So um, until next week, uh, we'll be working on that stuff, and then we'll have it for you all. So thanks for listening, and bye. Bye.